Hello and welcome to episode 153 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. This week it's our recap of 2023 where we're going to talk about our top 10 films of the year. Even Kevin has a top 10 for 2023, right Kevin? That's right. Even though he saw like 10 movies, right? Or 11 movies. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Kevin. But it is, it is like that, right? It, it might be like 17. 17. Well, that's not bad. That's not this, bad was, this was a much better year for me, all things yeah, considered. For sure, for sure. That's not... Uh, uh, nothing sneeze at 17 films. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about our top 10s. We'll talk about, uh, you know, other stuff. But also, mainly, uh, uh, JR's pick which is uh, Pitch Black this week. And honestly, before we even get into it, like, just a weird pick, JR. Like, such a strange pick coming from you. Am I wrong about this, Kevin? I mean, it, like like the, uh, like the store owner in No Country for Old Men said, it is unusual. Yeah, it is unusual. It just doesn't feel like a, like a JR, like a typical JR pick. I was really scrambling last episode. <laughs> unprepared for what I would do and uh, also this is a this movie's an important part of my teenage years I have no regrets okay that's interesting we'll have to talk about that um, before we get into any of that uh, do you guys like did, did you watch True Detective yet the first episode of the new season no no, no. why would I do are you, that are you guys planning to watch True Detective maybe I've been getting good reviews Except from Paul Schrader, he hates it. But oh yeah, is that because there are women? No, <laughs> no women don't write in notebooks. No, women. <laughs> Come on. Okay. Well, it's because um he wrote a, he wrote like a sort of uh, underhanded sort of um, review of the episode, saying that like it was copying from sort of master filmmakers but it you know and it's like most he's like most prestige television does this they copy from these master filmmakers but can't handle it like it never it always comes off as like this pale goofy copy which mm. is pretty i mean it's it's pretty it's pretty true honestly but i watched the first episode it's um it's pretty paint by numbers so far i'd say for this type of thing okay but then i don't know that the first episode of the first season wasn't paint by numbers also so, it's hard to say. It might go somewhere interesting. Well, you know, and maybe maybe that, that first episode of the first season of True Detective laid, it, laid out the numbers. No, mm. it didn't. You know, it, I mean, just doing this. <laughs> is it? Did it? But, I mean, it, within, this, within this world, are we doing the same oh. numbers? I don't know. Um, I mean, kind of, I guess. But it's like, it's definitely not as... They, they try to get into, like, a weird... True Detective seems like its whole thing is like they're trying to get into like this weird spiritual zone with each season, you know? Except mm. for maybe like the last season didn't seem like it was going after that as much, but like this like weird, like hallucinatory, mystical, you know, philosophical zone yeah. that they seem to achieve, in my opinion, in the first season because of McConaughey's performance and maybe the contrast between his character and Woody Harrelson's character mm. works well. And maybe just like the setting lends itself to that. But like the, the, you know, the second season like went way overboard with that kind of stuff and that kind of imagery and stuff and the ghosts and everything else and <laughs> you know just weird shit like that. But there's a little bit of that kind of thing going on in this one already in the first episode, and it just feels a little, you know, like too like maybe too many 
times they're going after that. And like, maybe just make it like a straightforward sort of, uh, you know, they obviously want to be like, you know, like just make it like seven or Zodiac or memories of murder, or, you know, just make a procedural, uh, you know, mm. <laughs> crime story. Like, why does it have to be weird? And I mean, not that I'm, I'm not against weird stuff. I just, it feels tryhardy when they get, get like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, especially like, like having watched the first season again, like, you know, I feel like, like if there was one thing that made it drag for me, it was McConaughey's like seemingly endless, you know, rhetorical nihilistic philosophy. And it's like, all right, you know, can we get back to, you know, the plot? Cause you know, there's, there's lots of interesting stuff going on there. And, um, but yeah, that's what I think about Woody Harrelson's as a foil to him. Mm. Pointing out how, like, when he, you know, he has famously stops and says, "I just wish you stop saying odd shit," you know. Yeah, like, yeah. He, he's completely calling him out for that very thing, and I agree. It is like so over the top sometimes. What he's the kind of shit that spills out of his mouth, but mm. you know, it maybe only works because of Woody Harrelson, the sort of comic back and forth that they have, which never gets too insanely comedic. But, anyways, I was just wondering if you guys were checking it out. How many? Uh, how many like? Super cool, long shots are there. There is a long takes. I believe there's a sort of a long take in the in when the uh, it's not really a, a murder that's discovered. It's like a disappearance at first. So that when that's discovered, there's so, I feel like that's a one take thing. But it's only like a minute and a half or something, two minutes. But mm. it's not impressive at all. It's just you know, I, I mean, not that any of those are really impressive anymore. But um. This one's definitely not. It's just a guy walking into a bunch of rooms. But, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. Jodie Foster, I like seeing her and stuff. And feels like I haven't seen her around in a while. I know she's in that movie with Annette Bening this year. But I don't mm. know who's, who saw that. So, you know. Uh, you know, the Golden Globes voters did. Right. And I'm mm. sure, you know, maybe, I guess there's like an outside chance Annette Bening will get a nomination or she make a nomination i don't know but, yeah jodie foster seems uh more likely right now didn't benning get the golden globe nomination though they both did oh they uh, both did. okay yeah. i don't i'm sure, sure, sure they both did i just mm. know that she was benning was on the the actress round table foster mm. wasn't so oh just real quick i don't know if you guys saw but like apparently there was like uh, a tiny amount of hoopla about like Barbie being snubbed by the BAFTAs and yeah and I'm I'm just sitting over here like y'all know that stands for the British Academy of Film and Television right Mm -hmm. like they're under no obligation like technically Barbie would be a foreign film so that's like, like that's like us wouldn't that be like us saying like the Oscars snubbing Oppenheimer, though, you know? I mean, Oppenheimer is a, made by a British man, a British... Syncopy is a British company, right? Yeah, I but I, I feel like it's, you know, more... I, I feel like w- it's... Warner Brothers is American, but, uh, you know, I mean, you, get what I, you get my point. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like Parasite, like, what if... Oh, yeah, yeah. The Oscars snub Parasite. I mean, the Baptists have been... Uh, like they they changed up how they do all their voting a few years ago as well, 
and mm. since then they've kind of been like a like a body where it's like what the fuck is gap going on oh okay uh just things get left out like no lily gladstone for killers of the flower moon as well mm. that was uh i guess there's a big deal they've got someone from the color purple in there instead it's like again what are you guys doing but also mm. they've got uh vivian opara from rye lane in there and that is an extremely british movie oh and that's you know whatever Okay. Got to get some of the home team in there. Mm. <laughs> I almost watched Ry Lane once. This is pretty good. Eh. I liked it. Maybe I'll get around to it. Some, I mean, after this list, I'll ne- I will watch another. You will never watch it. Not yeah. for a while, at least. <laughs> Unless you pause this episode to watch it right now, you're not. You're never watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I almost watched Fremont, but I. Just realized as we've been talking, I did not log that at uh, two in the morning like I thought I did. Oh really? You watched it? Yeah, I mean, it was just sitting there on movie after I yeah. watched, uh, and it was actually a mistake watching a, a movie that uh, the descriptions like you know recalls Jarmusch and Kurosaki. Just watched a Kurosaki movie. Mm. Uh, this was not as good as the Kurosaki movie, but it was it was interesting, and uh, you should watch it for Greg Turkington. Oh yeah, I mean he's he's he would be the reason. Um, I you know I saw it same thing. I just saw it on movie, and I was like, oh, I should watch this. And I was like, yeah, kind of got to watch Riddick still. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, wanted to make sure I had all the Riddick uh, franchise marked off. No, I uh, yeah, I woke up. I woke up early. I went to bed late. Woke up early so I could get some uh, some Riddick in. Some Chronicles mm. of Riddick, and then okay. Riddick. Chronicles of Riddick. Okay, let's. Um, <laughs> let, speaking of which, let's get into it. Let's talk about Pitch Black. This is a movie from the year two thousand. Oh yeah. Uh, star- directed by David Tuhi. Tuhi, right? Is that what we're going with? That's what they go with on no other podcasts that I listen to. They call him Tuhi. Uh, that's what it was. I always thought it was Twohi. I like Tuhi. It sounds better than Twohi. Twohi sounds awkward and weird. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe he's awkward and weird. Well, judging <laughs> from these films. Okay. So anyways, uh, this also stars Vin Diesel in a, in an early role. Um, star? I don't, not maybe maybe oh, not star whoa, making, whoa. but... Uh, oh, I see. I thought, you were, I thought you were arguing he doesn't star in this. No, 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 no. He's not like, the <laughs> this was certainly uh, my introduction to Vin Diesel, but uh, I would guess that most people feel like he blew up the next year in the Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, of course. Uh, of course. This is, I mean, did you read at all about the franchise? This franchise? No. I, I made an active decision not to do that. Well. Uh, and I'll, I've got some, some thoughts on okay. how it goes based on who I know Vin Diesel is, but, uh, then I'll be quiet. I'll let you oh, no. express those thoughts momentarily. <laughs> this also stars, uh, Rada Mitchell, Cole Hauser and Keith David. Um, so you just got like the B movie team coming into this one. I mean, and Vin Diesel. It's like Claudia black. We, we got people from Farscape in yeah, here. I don't, I don't know. Who A lot that of, is, <laughs> I, David Toei. Tuhi, yeah. <laughs> I think David Tuhi's Australian. Okay, mm, so we've sense. got no. He's American. I made oh, that oops. up. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> there are there are several Australians here though. 
mm. like in, like Rada Mitchell and Claudia Black. Okay. Uh, Claudia Black was Saza, the dark-haired uh, mm, right. female. I uh, I yeah I didn't remember like Rada Mitchell being in this or Keith David to be honest. But I guess we should say what this movie's about <laughs> for people who aren't aware of what Pitch Black is. It's the first in the Riddick franchise, and uh, it's about a ship crash landing on a remote planet and the maroon passengers learning that their escaped convict Riddick, played by Vin Diesel, isn't the only thing they have to fear. Deadly creatures lurk in the shadows, waiting uh, to attack in the dark, and the planet is rapidly plunging into the utter blackness of a total eclipse. 22 years in the making with the body count rising the doomed survivors are forced to turn to Riddick with his eerie eyes to guide them through the darkness <laughs> to safety with this time was... running out there's only one rule God damn it. Stay <laughs> right, that's this, is, this is just the letterbox description right right yes <laughs> I was I was like this is a weird description for letterbox it's, very de- it's way too detailed but like Riddick with his eerie eyes. What the fuck are they doing? I know, right? Yeah, with his eerie eyes. Yeah. That's a great, great description. Uh, his eyes are eerie. They're weird. I, and I, I can't quite figure out exactly how they work. Um, well, it's like, does he see normal when he's got his goggles on and then he takes them off so he can see weird? But he, this is, this is like, um, God, in like one of those like airplane or like you know parody movies, there's got to be a version of the person who just like constantly is removing his glasses for effect. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And Vin Diesel is removing these goggles for effect every eight seconds in this back for the movie. Hang on now. Okay, I don't want to conflate things. Is that true in Pitch Black, or is that a Chronicles of Riddick? Uh, innovation because I feel like in Chronicles of Riddick oh. he's pulling off the glasses about 900 times more than he's doing it oh. in this movie because they he, want to show his face more because he's a star now he did mm. but like so it, when they are moving through the darkness mm-hmm. he's doing it constantly and he's doing it not well maybe it's not constantly he's doing it a lot more than you would think you would when you're trying to like move quickly yes because <laughs> he doesn't just mm. put them on his forehead he removes them all the way Yes, he does. He has the move that he does where he, like, he grabs them from like above and rips them off like dramatically every time. <laughs> Least I convenient think, way to do it. Right, mm. and I will also say that like the eyes thing, I don't think the eyes uh, as a plot device are a problem in this movie. I think it becomes mm. problematic in the following films when you know his his description of why they are the way they are and how they work radically changes by the time we get to the second and third film. Yeah. I, that's fine. This part of what really attracted me to this movie, uh, when I was, I was probably 13 when I saw this mm-hmm. on DVD, uh, I oh, know on DVD. I would think so. Didn't go to the theater. No, no, I was like, I would not, this is a horror movie. I, there's no way in hell it's going to the theater. My mom took me to see this shit in the theater, brother. <laughs> no no problem. I was, I was a very scared, you know, like oh, tween. I like I would not yeah. watch horror movies. I, I had to be taken out of Independence Day, not a horror movie, because I thought <laughs> it was too scary. I had to leave. Like I made I had, my dad take me out of the 1998 Godzilla. Too scary. That's not mm. scary. 
Independence no, Day has scary moments, actually. I mean, I sure. Yeah, this is um, terrifying shit in there. I my parents have described it as like you really hated loud sounds, and oh, when the loud sounds were combined with people dying, it was like it was over. Mm-hmm. Um, but like around this time, like two thousand two thousand one, like a friend finally convinced me to like watch the Mummy from nineteen ninety nine at home. And I was like, oh, this is like sort of a scary movie. I can do this. And, you know, gradually get more into to these types of movies. And with Pitch Black, there is like this element of lore to the Riddick character mm. that I found extremely fascinating as, again, I think as, as a 13-year-old. Um, I just thought like his backstory was the coolest shit in the world. Uh, I was probably, you know, just like the Jack character, you know, I wanted to be this guy. Uh, and (laughs) I, my memory of this is like, this is one of the first times where like, I'm paying attention to a character and there's like a backstory that makes me like, think of like, I'm envisioning a prequel and like, I desperately need a sequel because I need to have more of this guy's story. Uh, and spoiler alert his story's not that interesting. <laughs> uh, okay. It, like I, 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 don't know no. it, I still like it and enjoy it. Sure. Um, and they, they don't, they actually don't like flesh out so much. Um, or as much as I, my memory, uh, thought they did. Uh, but again, as a 13 year old, I just thought it was fucking cool. And they don't flesh out enough, as much, cool. as much as you thought about his backstory. You mean, yeah, there's there's still plenty of it there, but it doesn't like dominate the movie. Well, they don't mention Furia in this in this uh, movie, do they? No, thank God. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they don't mention Furia, and it's but like in the details we get, they're like, you know, I was in a horrible supermax prison, mm-hmm. got the surgery uh, for the eyes, and but then a lot of it's also like he's saying things in a way that like to taunt people, like playing into their assumptions about him where it's like technically who knows what is true here for his uh, backstory. Besides he is definitely a dangerous prisoner. Mm. Yeah, I agree. He's probably, um, it's difficult to, 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 to say, uh, what he's being genuine about, especially again, in relation to the next films, when you find out that certain things he says are not true. Yeah, I can't wait for David Gordon Green to come in for the sixth film oh, and erase the sequel. So I can't wait for that either. That'd be great. Oh. Recast Vin Diesel. <laughs> no, no, you I mean, got to bring Vin Diesel right? back, but he's old, <laughs> and we don't. He's got a big beard. Well, he already had the big beard. I forgot about the second film. He had the big beard in the second. Oh film. God. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, have yep. you ever seen the second film? Yeah, I've seen all three of them, uh, okay. but it's been a million years since I've seen the last two. Yeah, I would, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen, I think I've only seen Chronicles of Riddick one time uh, before mm. this morning. And I remember I did not go to a theater to see it, which was weird. You know, it only came out four years after Pitch Black. But even by then, I guess I was like, this one doesn't look the same. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and it's not. It's bad. Yeah, it's awful. Anyway, what, um, you know, 
sorry, I, I kind of gave my uh, my backstory with this. I, uh, I mean, you guys know from like how much time I've invested in the Fast and Furious franchise. I'm just kind of in the bag for Vin Diesel more than many people should be. Um, there are things about this movie that I really like. There are things about this movie that I think are, are pretty actively bad. Uh, where are you guys at? I feel the same. Um, like I was, I was kind of like going along with the movie and then, uh, then I paused it and realized like, Oh, there's like another 50 minutes. And I'm like, this, this is, mm, I I don't, I don't know about this. I think Um, it's, you know, it's just over an hour and 50 minutes, I think. And mm. it's like an, is it almost exactly an hour in when, uh, we turned in nighttime. Yes. Actually, yeah. There. So. Yeah. It's brutally long uh, before we actually get what the actual plot of the movie is supposed to be. Yeah, and it's a lot of hanging out with characters you don't really want to hang out with, and yes. you know yes. them them being just like uh the uh what's his face um uh, the dude who shoots the other uh, Zeke. Um, Zeke. Zeke is Zeke was useless and annoying and you know he and he died for it. Yeah, and you know, it couldn't you know could have could have happened a lot sooner. And then, you know, um oh what's her face? Uh Rada Mitchell, like, you know, like she goes into she goes into that cave with the rope attached to her belt. And then at no point before, you know, she's like climbing out, does she think, oh, you know, maybe I should have just tugged on it and they could have pulled me back. Yeah. Um, and well, then, I you thought, know, get it off I thought of it me, was, get it off of me. I thought it was snapped. No, she I doesn't she, even disconnect it, right? She's, no, well, they, she doesn't disconnect it from her belt, but I thought the reason right. she didn't go back was because she saw that it was snapped. Oh. I thought maybe. she saw it lying loose on the ground. Maybe. I don't know. The uh the creatures certainly were able to, you know, give it a good yank. Well, yeah, because it was still there were still, you know, oh dozens God. of feet attached to her. But uh JR but, is in the bag. No, yeah. I was doing the same thing with garbage. Like, regardless of where this belt or this line <laughs> is, like you can take it off of your belt. Yeah. Pull it off mm. of your belt. Uh and but they had to leave it on the the belt so that we could have the shot of her like out there but being pulled back in yeah mm. <laughs> um, we need i that. did i did appreciate that rada mitchell after she got out of there was like that was so stupid it's like yes, yeah. yes that was very stupid <laughs> everything about that decision was dumb yeah um yeah i mean i don't know like i think it's you know um it's certainly not unheard of to, you know, have like a bunch of random strangers being stranded and having to, you know, work with each other to survive and to, you know, make it through and, you know, um, but, uh, it's been done. Yeah. It's, it's been done. And like, it's also like, and again, you know, it's just populated with uninteresting characters you know, making dumb decisions over, you know, almost two hours. And, you know, like, um, you know, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Keith David is fine. You know, his, his character and, uh, his pilgrims, you know, they're, you know, 
at least not actively offensive. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe actively offensive to Muslim people. <laughs> the way that they are treated. They, yeah, yeah. They are. Yeah. Um, I think it is notable that the like the young Muslim boys are the Star Trek red shirts. Like oh, they yeah, are. Sure. They're the most obvious cannon fodder. Mm. We'll say. Um, like they're not the first to die, but man, they they don't they don't they don't get out. I think that uh, the movie is full of interesting ideas that are uh, really poorly executed. Mm. Um, and I don't really know uh, who to blame for the execution because I actually think the... I want to say the script is sort of strong except for that I don't... Maybe it's just I think that Vin Diesel's character... I don't mind his dialogue. Like, I... Some of it's not bad, like, and, and that's in all across the whole thing, like even in Chronicles of Riddick, which is an abomination. I think that there are lines that he has that are like, they they sort of work, and maybe it's Vin Diesel carrying those lines because I think Vin Diesel he, he that the the obvious criticism would be like oh he's like a muscle bound you know is this an action star he's got like zero charisma he's like uh, he's like the Rock you know but I don't think that that's true I think that Vin Diesel actually has charm as an as a as a performer and uh and talent i think he can act you know i don't know that i've seen him stretch his acting muscle very much although i do recall liking him and being surprised how much i liked him in um find me guilty yes find me guilty the sydney lumet film mm. but it's been a long time since i've seen that um so who knows but I think that he uh he does a fairly solid job of being you know captivating enough to carry uh, at least this film and the last film mm. in the uh, in the franchise, and uh, again, yeah, I, uh, I, 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 I like. It's, it's the latest film in the franchise. Oh, sure, right. We haven't seen Furia yet. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, I like the idea of the. I mean, just the whole concept, right? The pitch black. The planet's going to go dark, and there are all these creatures who only come out when it's dark, and you're just fucked. It's sort of like a 30 days of night scenario, right? Mm -hmm. Like, suddenly it becomes, like, pitch black, and the vampires come out. And it's like, and now there's only this one guy, and he just, and it's sort of like a goofy conceit, right? Oh, he can see in the dark. It's like, well, you know. And it's like, and and then it's like, why, he, he had this done to his eyes, but it's like, why right like why would you need like why would you ever want to have that done to your eyes and I don't, but does he explain that does he say like the prison was dark that he's in or something yes yeah um, yeah the and, prison you know, is extremely dark and they tell you you're never going to see daylight again yeah and for a couple of packages of cools you yeah, know 20 yeah 20 packages of cools cigarettes menthol you, cools you, yeah yeah you can have <laughs> has to be menthols i think yes. that uh i don't mind that i like like his explanation of all that and I like the idea that like, he's, you know, they have to trust this. I mean, it's just a very, like, easy way to get tension brewing, you know, that he's a criminal, that he's a murderer. You can't really trust him. They can't trust him. We know he's the star of the film, but, you know, he could fly off the handle and murder anybody at any time. Mm-hmm. And um, what I don't like is, like, the way this movie looks. It looks like dog shit. And, uh, like, the obviously, like, the CG is really bad, but, like, that's a product of its time. I don't necessarily blame it for that. 
Um, and I think that they do a good job of hiding a lot of how bad the CG, like the creatures look because a lot of it's happening in like pitch darkness and you're barely seeing them. Mm. But, um, then there's like shit like he's, you know, he's got, he's got his arms chained behind his back and then he like dislocates both of his shoulders and (laughs) rotates his arms 180 degrees. It's like. What what are we doing here? Like, is like, are we in a real? Are we in any sort of reality here? Because like, even a superhuman, you, you can't do that. Like, it's not, <laughs> yeah, it's just not physically. Like, his muscles would have to separate from his bones. You know, I don't understand what we're. And then, what are we saying about this man? I don't know. But other than that, so it, and that's like a section of the movie. Uh, something that I like about the movie and. Maybe it's just me liking something that is actually just an inconsistency. Mm-hmm. It's like he's this escape artist, uh, and it's true. He escapes all kinds of shit, but he also gets caught yeah, very easily. And, and easily. like Cole Hauser, like if if he gets the jump on Vin Diesel, Cole Hauser can kick the shit out of Vin Diesel here, right? It's so like, true. Yeah, I have that as a note. <laughs> it is. It's yeah, like when he's running and he trips him and he just you know. Each each shit in the sand, and it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, super you know evil, yeah. you know I just, amazing murderer. Sure, I, I kind of liked how they were trying to make him threatening, but not totally superhuman. But then you've got the arm thing, and it's like, well, mm. you gotta we yeah. need to pick a lane. And they and the, the the unfortunate thing I think is that they do pick that lane and they pick the superhuman side of it, right? They make him into a uh, the the last of a warrior race who is you know. I mean, sure, that they don't do that in this movie, but they no, they not in this movie. Pick, but I'm saying, like, yeah, they mm. they still pick the lane where you know they. I don't know. There aren't too many moments where like he does absolutely ridiculous stuff. A lot of times he sort of lets people meet their own end. Uh, mm-hmm. And they definitely show him like outsmarting the aliens and stuff like that. But but the uh, aliens are monsters and they're dumb. But um, yeah, Yeah, most of the superhero shit happens in the next movie. Like when he finds out they have a blind spot and he whispers blind spot. I love that he (laughs) can just tell that from like the the skeleton and he has to pull (laughs) this part of a skeleton that's fallen off. It's like, I don't, why did he need to reattach that piece? Um, look, I think that, uh, <laughs> look. <laughs> um, you mentioned that, that Vin Diesel was not all bad. Uh, I noted, you know, in that part where they're coming out of the, like the ship piece when it's dark, uh, or maybe they're going into another ship piece. I, I can't quite remember. Um, but they have him like, look at it first and, like how's it look? And he's like, looks clear. And then the oh, right, flies yeah. out at them, and they're like, how's it look now? And he's like, well, looks clear. Yeah. Uh, his <laughs> delivery that with that second looks clear uh, was really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's great. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then they give him, you know, the conversation about God. He's like, I absolutely believe in God. And I absolutely hate the fucker. And it's yeah, like, well, you know, that's like, that's, that's here's our, the, here's our R rated edgy thing. This is why the movie, uh, uh, works for you as a 13 year old though. Right. It's so mm. fucking, it's so like, yeah. uh, adolescent, right. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. 
I th- and I think the idea is even adolescent. It's like a B movie idea, but it's like you could have made something really interesting and like elevated out of it, like an alien type situation. I mean, obviously, it's like obviously well, like a, a play on alien. So it's like you could have yeah, I mean, this, yeah, made this something alien slasher and Con Air. Right. Right. So you could have made something interesting with it, and it's just I think too he doesn't have the the equipment. He just doesn't know what he's doing. That's all. Because well, I mean. you can I, tell by you can tell by okay. I don't know. Uh, hang on. You could tell by. Like this is is this Tuhi's first film? I don't know. It's got to be right. Two thousand. What did he do before that? Oh, you did the I arrival. So. I liked the arrival. I fuck. Mm. I was gonna <laughs> that, blows, that blows my whole thing. <laughs> he did Timescape also before this, which I haven't seen. But mm. um, the Jeff Daniels time travel film. Anyway, but the fact is that like this movie is like the editing is out of control in this movie. Like, it's ridiculous, especially, like, in the first half hour. The 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 crash sequence with the strobing and shit. I mean, I had to look away from the TV. <laughs> like, it was brutal, man. You know? And it just feels very, like, in-your-face, like you say, edgy. Like, we got to throw it all at him. You know, this is like a rock and roll picture, you know? <laughs> like, mm. and it's, just, it's, it's atrocious looking in well, every single way. I, and I... Of course, I'm here. I'm here to defend. Uh, <laughs> I defend my client. I for some of like the the visual stuff. I I thought a lot of it was like a product of we're trying to do a lot with a small budget. Uh, I don't even know what the budget of this movie is. I assume it was not large. Uh, just sure it's they're fine. you know they're doing mm. all like the the color stuff. He's got the weird lens things going. Like he's trying mm. everything oh, the lens he flare. can. Oh, the fake I mean, lens, lens flare. flare but, like, lens flare. Even doing like the um, like the like the fishbowl lens, like when they're walking across the landscape, he's just trying to do anything to make this alien landscape look alien. Yeah, um, and I, I definitely thought the editing Holy was shit. a part of that too. Like we're twenty three million budget. That's actually oh my goodness, way more than I thought. That's more than I thought as well. It made fifty three million at the box office, so mm-hmm. more than doubled it. Yeah, and I, I don't know, the the CGI does not super bother me. A lot of it's, like, video game CGI. Yeah. And, like, uh, like the, the eye effects and the, like, the the, vis- the vision perspective from the aliens, I thought, didn't look bad. Like, the sort of, like, staticky gray. Yeah, I don't mind that. Thing. I, I like that. Cool. Um, I love, speaking of, like, the, the visuals, I love the... Or the camera movements and techniques, uh, the crash zoom on Vin Diesel when he's like just sitting on top of the chip chilling. Oh, like mm. it, with the under the umbrella. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I was like, that's this is like the best moment of the film. I was like, it what? Was. It, it really was. was. I mean, it might. Well, actually, there's one other visual, and I think you all know what I'm talking about. It was in the trailer uh, that is pretty inspired and great, although it makes zero sense like logically. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? No. Did you watch the trailer? No, I just remember this moment okay. in the trailer. Oh, twenty-four. I have a good. Kevin and I were talking about this uh, the other day at the park with our kids. That uh, I have a, a wonderful memory about movies and when I saw them and how I saw them. But anyways, um, <laughs> but no, there's a moment in the trailer and it's in, in the film when uh, when the uh, the the guy with the French wine, the the, the guy, or he wanted to see Paris. Yeah, and he said I never mm. got to see Paris, which I actually think what, that's a good line too. I like that line. And then he blow he he spits the fire. Mm-hmm. In the dark, it's like that's a good moment. I don't. I like that a lot. Mm. So, yeah. Can I can I talk deaths? Do it. Go I ahead. really enjoyed the deaths 
themselves. Um, where a lot of my script stuff, my script complaints came in, was that like you had to make the person who died do like the dumbest shit possible to get them to that death. Mm-hmm. Like Paris wandering away on his own and killing the lights, like that made very little sense to me. I know he's like a coward, right? right? Sure, he's a coward, but like the and actually they they did like make Jack do something stupid right before that that causes him to do something stupid. And it's just like can we have one person here not be just like an idiot just to get them like and Shaza like I like Shaza being pulled apart in the air by those uh bat things but it's like hey Shaza don't stand up yet like what the fuck was she doing everyone's saying don't stand up which is it's dumb she's mm. dumb I know she's dumb why couldn't we why couldn't we make any of these people slightly smarter um and and I get that they were just like, we don't have enough time. These are just going to be caricature stereotypes, whatever. Well, that's, that's bad. They should have, they should have taken one more pass of the screenplay to make these people slightly more three dimensional. And Mm. this, uh, this film is not written by Tuhi, right? Uh, it was co-written. Yeah. It's the, it's the two people who clearly wrote together. And then Jim Wheat and Ken Wheat. Yeah, that typically means that um, they're brothers. That they were the original writers, and right, he took it and rewrote it. They also wrote Nightmare on Elm Street Four, The Dream Master, and The Fly Part Two, Mm. and The Birds Part Two. They're big sequel guys. (laughs) So it's possible that we really, (laughs) really improved this script. It it is possible. That's true. Having seen The Fly, too, I can vouch for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, there, there are a lot of, like, I mean, just speaking of the script and, and like, there, you know, the plot holes and the sort of inconsistencies. So, like, just watching it, and normally I don't have these thoughts, which is weird, but, like, I don't notice little nitpick things like this, but, like, just, like, in the very first scene, right, the the ship crash, like they get, they hit a debris field of some sort, and there are things flying through the ship, which I actually think is a cool idea, especially how they like they're flying into people and killing them in their sleep and stuff. That's mm, cool. Yeah. I like that. I like that as an idea a lot. I liked the the walls like falling apart on the outside. Anyway, yes. yes. Well, but as they're descending into the planet, the ship is on fire, obviously in the atmosphere. Why isn't the fire inside the ship? There are holes in the hull. Like, why isn't the fire coming in? Oh, that's not how space works. That's not how space works. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good explanation. No. Yeah. Um, also, I, this is a bigger one for me. Uh, how do the creatures survive on the planet if they're going 22 years without food? Um, I mean, they just evolved to survive 22 years without a meal. Well, yeah, unless it's some <laughs> sort of like, uh, like mating, birthing. Oh, they eat their own. Maturing cycle. I'm not. I really mm-hmm. don't know. That's not, yeah, that, that doesn't make sense. I, it, do did you guys assume that like the larva, the glowing larva at the end, like are those the same creatures in like a larva state? I did not get that, but maybe. Did that did that scratch your scavenger's rain itch at all? The fact that they <laughs> use those as light. Uh yeah, I, yeah. I thought that was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I liked that that was when they're like, we should take the labels off these bottles, finally. Mm. <laughs> For more light. Wouldn't Riddick need goggles over his goggles while he's welding? I would think so, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Because again, like, I, I feel like the goggles help him see normal. Exactly. Yes. That's what I'm thinking too, right? Mm. And also, I hate the fact that like, okay, just getting into the, the, the other films for a second, like, this is the, okay, the, the second film, we agree, is atrocious, okay? It's like really bad. And it's really bad in like a Battlefield Earth kind of way, like it's goofy. But I don't even think it knows it's goofy. Like, it's just, no. it's atrociously bad. And like, but it's, it's almost like Tui saw Battlefield Earth and was like, right, this, this is it. <laughs> Yeah, dude, we got to do like a space opera thing with like these weird like it's it's so terrible. Like this whole uh the the whole necromongers thing is uh Oh god. It's and horribly portrayed and I mean the <laughs> making them look just like normal guys in suits. I like I don't understand is, what um, the thought process is before What the like none of the decisions with Jack's character make like any sense to me. Mm. Oh. Um, oh, they make sense to me. It makes total like sense to make her would, hot. Yeah, that you would recast Jack with like a like a literal porn star. I don't know who this girl is, but she looks like a porn star. And then you'd make her, you know, and then make her change her name to Kira, so you can just virtually erase the whole Jack thing and make her like a sex object for Vin the, Diesel to look at. The reasons, <laughs> the reasons that she's mad, or like, it's like always like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and like, he you left prison him. because you're mad, but like, what the fuck are you? is yeah. going on here they i actually thought the uh the, the prison planet was probably the coolest part of that movie uh, uh not that it was I, cool I'm, I'm, i mean yeah, low bar, sure. not low that bar. It was cool. i got you i got you i got you i mean i think uh you know i like i again there are lines i like from chronicles of riddick like when he says the universe is going down the because you telling me the universe is going down the drain had to end sometime <laughs> like i like that sort of you know like comically nihilistic <laughs> approach um mm. It reminded me of Highlander 2 also. I don't know if you've seen Highlander 2, JR. Mm, I don't quickening. think so. The, the quickening is, 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 it's really, really similar aesthetically. Um, cause mm. it, it takes the idea of Highlander. You've seen the original Highlander, right? Yes. It takes the, the yeah, it takes the idea of Highlander and it turns it, it makes it a science fiction thing and it makes Highlanders aliens from another planet. Mm. Um, like the guys who have to cut each other's heads off, uh, oh from God. another planet. And, um, is it in the future? It is, and it introduces it, it introduces a lot of like science fiction uh, uh, weaponry and vehicles, and things like this. It's pretty goofy, but it, it it reminded me of that a lot because like the pitch black is such a sort of simplistic, you know, simple narrative that doesn't delve deep into the space or the politics of space or anything like that that's going on around them. They're just stranded on this planet, and they they might as well be stranded, you know, on an island on Earth. You know what I mean? It's like, but the second no. film feels the, the need to elaborate and show us, you know, the, the, the intergalactic politics of everything. And honestly, like pitch black is almost, it's almost using like a alien as a shorthand, like where we just have like this company that mm. like, like they are a commercial vessel. They're responsible for the passengers. You know, it's all very vague and we're just assuming that there is corporate enterprise involved. Yeah. Um, the, uh, Guys, I had a conversation with my brother today about Highlander. Oh, wow. he, call, he called me. <laughs> what? To tell me that he's like, hey, I'm pretty sure I thought Highlander was a thing that Highlander is not. And he was <laughs> telling me 
how he thought it was like a time travel thing and there are guys with swords um and i was like there are definitely guys with swords that, like they don't travel and I, like highlanders like medieval france and the present and the tv shows in the present i don't think they time travel dude and is it possible that my brother has just seen highlander the quickening maybe the only one he's seen well i mean the 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 highlander that is available on blu-ray now is the director's cut which includes mm. scenes of uh connor mcleod throughout time so like he has a scene in world war ii he has a scene in like you say um like our 16th 17th century france du- dueling mm. he has a scene and then there's the scenes in scotland early on when it's like medieval scotland and then there's the presentation so, yeah so i mean it's like Possibly he's just seeing those different scenes maybe out of context and not understanding what's happening in them. His his wife was butting in. She was pretty sure that he was thinking of Outlander. Oh, a book, a book oh, series yeah, that she yeah. has read. That's a show on uh, Showtime, right? Or Stars or something? Uh, yeah. And that actually yeah. does involve time travel. It does. Well, you know, so when, when his wife said that, I was like, I mean, that definitely is time travel. It's like sexy time travel. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But that probably is it. He should know. watch the first Highlander. It's not bad. <laughs> and I should and I should watch the Quickening. No, you definitely should not you, you watch. Don't, the you don't I mean, to. go ahead, but you, you definitely should not watch it. But but uh, the, um, know. yeah. I mean, every decision in Chronicles of Riddick is uh is questionable and and bad, and uh, I think every visual idea was misjudged um <laughs> the cgi you, like we have these these sort of cgi worlds uh and you know you can be annoyed with how pitch black looks i think i'd rather have awful blue and 2000s orange filters on my desert landscape than just like the nonsense garbage they came up with for chronicles of riddick with the the fucking like necromonger, you know, multi-headed thing, like the fucking Transformers alien. Just the, the, just like the, the, the need to name everything as if you're like trying to create like a, I mean, obviously that's what they're going for, right? Like David too, he thinks he has like a juggernaut on his hands. It's like star. It's, this is going to be the next star Wars. I have to name every planet and every ship. I have to show, I have to create these elaborate backstories for these, uh, cult like, uh, superhuman races, you know, and then I have to create this ridiculous backstory for Riddick, so that Riddick can can conceivably fight these things, these necromongers who are, you know, powerful. I have to make him superhuman. I have to retcon that he's from this other planet and that he's a superhuman force. And it's just like you you, you rob the first film of anything that was interesting about it, and then you set yourself up for. And I'll say this. You set yourself up for a, a, a horribly shit sequel to this Chronicles of Riddick, and then somehow though manages to circumvent all of that, actually but, actually use the necromonger stuff in the movie, and it all somehow works fairly well. It it really does, even though <laughs> it's also like that movie is also doing sort of like a play the hits, pitch black. Uh, okay. See, now I've heard this. I've heard this before. This exact criticism of Riddick that it's a rehash of Pitch Black. The ending is Pitch Black. Okay. What do you mean the ending is? Oh, you mean the, them them being stuck with the yeah with the creatures? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. That. Uh, yeah. But that's like twenty minutes of the movie. The movie's two hours long. You know. I mean, 
you know. I my favorite part of that movie is the first half hour where he's just yeah. by himself with Duh. the yeah. alien creatures. Dude, him uh, coming up with, with ways with ways to defeat these creatures when he injects himself with the venom and they don't I love that he's narrating the film, but Tuhi knows enough. I don't know how he knows this because he seems like a total <laughs> moron. But he knows enough to not have him explain that. Oh my god! Yes. Voiceover, you know. And by the way, voiceover opens each of the three films. Yeah. And then goes away. We never get it again. That's so true. Yeah. Which is it's just like each time Tui made one of these, he was like, we got an ADR, some voiceover here. Like, <laughs> God damn it. I don't, no one knows. No one's going to know what's going on. It's like, just, but it's, just trust, that's what I mean. Though. He's, he has, he somehow has faith in the audience enough to say, okay, we're going to show him milking this creature for venom. And we're going to show him injecting that venom into his dog, into himself. And we're going to assume the audience can follow that. What's like, what's going on with that. Right. And I was like, I, I, I feel like that was, I mean, it's not like it's not, you know, for us, I feel like people who watch a lot of film, that's not a hard thing to understand. But like for the general audience, I say that's like a mildly challenging succession of images, you know, yes, mm-hmm. especially since he's literally not talking at all through that first half hour. I mean, he maybe says like two or three sentences to the dog, you know, but he's not mm-hmm. talking very much. He's just there. It's like castaway almost. Yeah. And it was it was great. Um, is Chronicles of Riddick. Is this the moment where Vin Diesel can no longer uh, be ambiguous? Vin Diesel can no longer be the bad guy. Like, does this change his trajectory? Where like now he is the superhero. Chronicles of Riddick. Chronicles of Riddick. Because uh, I was thinking, like, this must have happened, like somewhere before, but he, he only had a few movies between pitch black and Chronicles of Riddick. It's fast and furious, obviously a huge one knock around guys. No one remembers this movie with Barry Pepper and Seth Green. I um, remember it. Triple X, which is doing the superhero thing. Yeah. Uh, a man apart. And then it's Chronicles of Riddick. I mean, that's quite a few movies. I don't know. <laughs> like, <Yeah. holy. laughs> but like, he's got his What's... star making thing. And like, if fast yeah. and furious, he is, He's not the bad guy. He's the criminal. He's not the good guy. Um, and Triple X, obviously, he's like the he's the good guy, but he's he's bad. Mm. Um, and same thing on Man 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 Apart, I believe. I want to okay. say he's sort of a I haven't seen that one pseudo dirty cop sort of thing. But like he, you know, he gets he's got Chronicles of Riddick. He does the pacifier and find me guilty, mm-hmm. which he doesn't really go back to like the kids movie place again i don't think uh he doesn't really go back to drama ever again and then it's it's babylon ad and then just fast movies pretty much after that you know it's really when you really when you think about the trajectory of his career it's 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 very similar except like almost like a microcosm of of tom cruise like tom cruise was doing a lot of really interesting shit early on and and drama dramatic stuff early on and uh you know um after a while, I mean, it took a lot longer for him, but like in, you know, in his later years, in his forties and fifties and going into his sixties now, 
he's all about just big action franchises. It's all he wants to be involved with, right? Mm. And it's like, it feels like Vin Diesel's maybe the same. Like, Vin Diesel probably feels like he's a brand, you know? Mm. And that, like, he has to protect the way that he portrays himself in a movie, which is why he does Fast and Furious and Triple X and... I guess now he's Groot, but that you know that that doesn't yeah, require him to do anything. Like, so <laughs> he's got like twenty these little like I am Groot shorts all right. over the letterbox. <laughs> I had no idea these existed. I would love to see a breakdown of how he gets paid for mm, from Marvel God. for all that stuff. Yeah. Like, how does he? There's uh, how much are they paying him to record I am Groot? You know, thirty five times for the first movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like um, that's, I, it's got to be an insane amount of money for that little amount of work. Probably. Um, oh, by the way, Chronicles of Riddick, the budget, 105 to 120 million. Jesus Christ. And it failed at the box office, only made 115. Mm. I'm amazed it made that much. And this is what I was going to say earlier, that this movie was not a success financially, and Vin Diesel, apparently, I read this on the, the uh, IMDb trivia, he agreed to do a cameo in Tokyo Drift because he had walked away from the franchise, apparently, mm-hmm. but he, he agreed to do a cameo if he could have the rights to the Riddick character, and that's how he got Riddick made. I did not know that. Mm. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, obviously, <laughs> his cameo in Tokyo Drift, the second best uh Fast and Furious movie is uh, led to a lot of of great things in the next few years. Yeah, classic. Fast Five, right? Fast Five. <laughs> so you know, um, I don't know. I think uh, it, it's 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 a strange franchise because Pitch Black is for me. Pitch Black isn't very good. Chronicles of Riddick is like unbelievably not good, and then Riddick is like pretty solid so it's like a weird <sighs> jump in quality Riddick, yeah so, ri- <sighs> something about riddick annoys me where it still is it's it's too, well the version i watched is two hours and i i don't know if i was watching the unrated like i i was thinking about reading it on amazon and it was like an unrated one and it's like an alternate ending i have no idea if like what i saw was an alternate ending or not what did you um, well don't maybe don't spoil it for in case Kevin wants to rewatch I don't know well uh, <laughs> it, um, it had a section it had a section I don't remember where he uh, starts looking for people once he's off the world again and uh, and the guy who plays Vaku is in the credits although I didn't ever see him you never um, saw Vaku in the movie in Riddick yeah where he's in like the like the scene where he's explaining how he got stranded on the planet. Oh Fox yeah, he's he gets that's Carl Urban, isn't it? Yeah, Carl Urban. Yeah, yeah. You don't remember mm-hmm. this? That's not in the. Maybe I watched the extended version. He doesn't explain how he got stranded. Oh, in the version I watched certainly does. Okay. He talks anyway. about going. He goes to the planet with um. The guy, one of the necromongers, he's got the scars all over his face, and the guy like shoots the uh, cliff and makes the cliff fall. Oh my god, you didn't see this? I what, watched kind of extended version fuck of this. Did I see? <laughs> <laughs> That's so wild, dude! I can't believe I watched the extended cut of this and didn't realize it. 
I feel I, insane right now. Maybe I'm, I, I don't think so. No, that's definitely in, in Riddick, not in Chronicles. So like the first scene that I get is just, we're on the planet and mm-hmm. he grabs an alien by the throat. Um, I don't have the, sorry, I'm with me. It's on my laptop. Downstairs. And yeah, yeah. It just goes straight. Like he's crawling through the desert injured. And it just opens with him being injured. Yeah, it opens it. with him. It opens with him being injured. But then, like five or ten minutes into the movie, he, his narration starts discussing, like how I can't trust anybody. They left me here, and then it like, cuts to him. In it cuts to him being king of the Necromongers. You know, because that's how the, the last one ended. And no, then he he's, and he's like banging chicks and shit. Like there's like four naked women in his bed. You get to see a titty, and then. <laughs> uh, you know, and then uh, he has to kill, like, one of them tries to assassinate him, and he has to fucking, like, stab her to death. And then uh, Vako comes in. And Oh, no, okay, I found it. Sorry, yeah. scrolling. You just, you, you blanked all that from your memory. You're <laughs> I just, like, blocked, I, I I just don't blocked this out. This. Yeah. I can't handle boobies. <laughs> well, you get to see uh, what's-her-face's boobies later on in the movie, uh, right? Yeah, Katie, uh, Katie Sackhoff. Katie Sackhoff, yeah. In like a, a really, oh. like, I, I can't believe she agreed to do that nudity. That was really strange. It was strange only because, okay, I don't know who Katie Sackhoff is, but like. That'll start fact, like, uh, yeah. Yeah, but just the fact that like, it was such a weird amount of nudity because it was just like side boob for like a split second where you could like see her nipple. And it's just like, she probably, you know, they probably could just raise the camera like half an inch and you would never have seen that and it would have been fine. Yeah, but like, I would. You know, my hope is that she's a person with agency and sure, yeah, she agreed to it. But it's just like it's sort of a weird. I mean, I don't have a problem in these, at that, in these Riddick just, movies. Yeah. Is, is just strange to me. They're like, well, I get the impression they ain't sexy, of course. And I get the impression that too, he is like a Michael Bay uh, type because like the girl he casts as this badass female prisoner who this uh, mercury mercenary crew has been raping apparently. And then they, you remember this? Yeah, yes. <laughs> and they yes, release, they release her. And I was like, this woman, like right when she showed up, I hate to say it, but I was like, God damn it! Like now, this is how this movie is going to go downhill. We've got this ridiculously gorgeous model who we're supposed to believe is some kind of badass prisoner who they've caught, but then they release her and shoot her in the back immediately. So it's like, you know, no biggie. Mm. She's gone. <laughs> I I did not care for. Uh, was his name Santana? Oh no! No, Jordi Molia. Yeah, the from guy Moya. from uh, Bad Boys Two. He's the villain. In Bad he Boys was. Too. <laughs> uh, I like. I like them. Work. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know, like, his whole crew was so dumb. Um, yeah, Bautista. <laughs> yeah, Bautista not playing an intelligent person. He was not bad though in it. I thought. Oh, he, he was wasn't bad. Dumb. Yeah, mm. uh, just like a group of idiots. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I mean, you know, that's par for the course, though, right? Yeah. That's like you said in Pitch Black, right? In Pitch Black, they have to be dumb because they mm. have to lead each other into. Uh, so, into I, I can't. I, I regret, and now we're going in the wrong direction. If I do this, but like, <laughs> I really do feel the need to to talk about Cole Hauser and Rada Mitchell and their characters. Oh, no, go ahead. Um. Cole Hauser, of course, is it's revealed that he is a morphine addict. We see him shooting up into his eye. This becomes a big deal. Uh, Cole Hauser, is, he's a piece of shit. Um, 
And he's also dumb and he's dumb for the sake of the movie. But like, there's like a moment where like, we've all known for half an hour that there are creatures that are killing people and that have killed these people that were here decades ago. But even like later, once it's dark, he's like, he says somebody to the effect that like, (laughs) these creatures are killing everyone. It's like, like catch up idiot. What's going on? (laughs) Uh, But Cole Hauser, who's an idiot and a morphine addict uh, is paying enough attention to something that still shouldn't make sense to him. Um, where he like catches this, uh, other ship employee as he's dying, yelling at Rada Mitchell, don't touch the handle, don't touch the handle, which is a reference to Rada Mitchell as they are coming down through the atmosphere. She's trying to level out and safely land or safely crash. Uh, and she's, decided that she's going to like dump the part of the ship that has all these passengers in cryo. Right. And like, this is her, her moment that dooms her of course. And the movie never lets us forget it. And but, like Cole Hauser should have no fucking idea what this guy is talking about when he's like, don't touch the handle. But of course, like all Cole Hauser, Ronda Mitchell ever talk about is this because Cole Hauser's figured this out. And it drove that drove me crazy, and also just drove me crazy that Rada Mitchell's character basically never got a moment where she wasn't talking about or dealing with that decision. And it's like a very classic uh, Hayes Code: we have to kill her <laughs> because <laughs> she made a bad moral decision. Mm. I also really liked when she get carried away in the rain. I think it's pretty. It's a silly um, problem to complicate the storyline further and give, just create like a necessary, not a necessary, but just like a really sort of cheap way to create tension between, you know, her character and the rest of the characters and the audience. I guess is the fact the fact that they know that she did that and not many other people do. But it's just like yeah, it's also yeah. It's only just like Kyle Hauser knows for most of it. Right. The fact that. Rada Mitchell, I mean, she, they're just like, she's not, I don't like Rada Mitchell. I don't think she's a very good actor. And um, I just don't think that she has the, what it takes to portray what they're giving her to portray in this movie. Like, she's just not, I don't know. She does nothing for me. I don't, I don't yeah. think she's talented, mm. frankly. It's just such a bummer because... Like through that, I guess you could say that Rada Mitchell and Cole Hauser have the only characters that like get something right. besides just like a base personality, and it still just like falls flat. That's yeah, that's a bummer. I agree, I agree with that. Mm. But they should have given you know maybe recast them or something. I don't know. I don't like Cole Hauser in this movie either, but I don't yeah. hate Cole Hauser as an actor. I just did you like Cole Hauser's daddy? Uh, in that guy has like a real, like uh, Jeremy Renner thing going on. Yeah, <laughs> and, he's like uh, old, old cheap Renner. Yeah, I don't, I didn't, you know, I didn't mind him. Matt Nable. Matt name. Nable, yeah, never, mm. never heard of, him, but he's in Hacksaw Ridge apparently. Um, you know, he's okay. I, I thought all the acting in Riddick was fairly solid. Um, I, I really like just the, you know, how like 
the military guys sort of act like real military guys. Like the way that they, I like that they have like regular guns for one thing. Cause like in Chronicles of Riddick, you know, everybody's got like these weird energy, like gravity pistols and shit. <laughs> like it's very Let's, gross. You know, like it, it's notable that in pitch black, you know, the guy Paris, the antiquities dealer, the rich coward, yes. mm-hmm. he's like, all this stuff is from earth and he wants to go back to earth. And like, you know, this is like a future space based on our current world. Uh, and then in Chronicles of Riddick, it's just like, there is no relation to, to right. our planet at all. Because, just, again, because they expanded into a space opera that has to have like an yeah. intergalactic council and all this kind of shit, you know, <laughs> and this necromongers are destroying planets, millions of people on them. Boy, that's a bad movie, man. I'll tell you. Chronicles of mm. Riddick. Yikes. I almost feel, in like a retrospect, like, okay, for instance, star rating for Pitch Black for me, I'm going to give it a two because I enjoyed it two stars worth, but I feel like it should be higher based on how much I hate Chronicles of Riddick. You go two and a half like me. <laughs> well, no, I'm going to go... I, I don't like Pitch Black. I don't. <laughs> My my rating is a three. My emotional rating is a three and a half. Uh, it will be a three on Letterbox though. Mm. Uh, which you know, a bit of a disappointment. I was hoping that I would uh, discover some like cool and interesting stuff that uh, the director did, but I did not. Yeah. I discovered I that uh, I have a, a rosy memory of something that has some interesting ideas and kills and a lot of bad elements. Mm. And I, I definitely did not expect Riddick. Riddick for me is also a three and a half yes. uh, on rewatch, and it's crazy that the third one is where they like got things right. Mm. Yeah, I, it's weird because I was like, I was not looking forward to Riddick at all, even though I've, I'd heard that it's like better than the other two. But I was like, God, I really don't want to like sit through this again. You know, I'm not enjoying these movies. And then it was such a delight that by the end of it, I was like, I, I, when are they going to make Furia? Like, I'm in. Like, let's do this. You know? <laughs> but, you know, but it, you know it, like, it just sets up Furia to be a disaster because sure. it's going <laughs> to get into his savior stuff and it's yes. going to deal with necromongers because it has to. And you just, <sighs> there's no way for it not to suck. It's also, I, I should say this, and, and JR, you're the person person to ask this because i have i've only seen one of the fast and furious movies which is the fast and the furious and um is vin diesel shirtless in the fast and furious movies ever um probably ever he's typically in a tank top a white tank top though yeah usually shirtless he's not shirtless in pitch black or chronicles but there's a scene in in riddick where he's shirtless and he's you know he's ripped up he's in good shape it's just weird to me that he he doesn't go shirtless more often does he have like weird nipples or something i don't he looked he looked great in riddick i was like i was like this is weird he looks like uh you know young sylvester stallone 80 sylvester stallone or something Mm. i'm I'm searching vin diesel weird nipples right now (laughs) (laughs) you're not gonna like what you get Uh. anyway um do you guys want to do uh roulette then sure can we just choose Keith David? 
I feel like he. Okay, listen, listen. The only reason, I, the only reason I say that, he's the only one that Kevin and I are going to have a chance with. What? Mm. Why? You don't think you'd have a chance with Rada Mitchell and Cole Hauser? I've, I've, no, I've seen I, very I, few movies. I definitely do not think I'd have a chance with Rada Mitchell and Cole Hauser. You've seen uh, all the movies I've seen with Rada Mitchell, plus like probably four. Claudia Black. I've only seen her in Farscape. Yeah, but like, who is? I I definitely haven't seen Claudia Black in anything. What has she been in? I've I've, I've only seen jam. her in Pitch Black. So Stargate. I've seen her in nothing. I never saw Rango. Uh, that's your, that's you your guys didn't see ball. Queen of the Damned. No, I did not. Oh, okay, not an Aaliyah fan. Mm. Whatever, man. Uh, you know, no, okay. you, wanna, no, you, you know what? Fuck it. it. It's fine. No, fuck Let's it. I will. I will. Sushi roll. David. I'm no, calling I'll it. Roll. David. I'm rolling Don't it. Roll. Don't roll. I'm rolling it, dude. Keith David. I'm rolling it, and the roll is. Wait a minute. What happened? There it goes. My God. The roll is a one. We can't use. We cannot use Vin Diesel. We can use Keith David. It's not. You very... guys. You guys hate that I've seen Fast and Furious movies. It's so just, we can it's do just Keith like, David. No, it's just unfair. Like you, you've literally. I've seen eleven Vin Diesel movies. You've probably seen like thirty. It's not quite thirty. I, it's probably close though. You see Awakenings, haven't you? He's in that. He's an orderly, uncredited. No, I've seen twenty six. Oh wow! Dang, I've seen twelve. All right. I haven't even seen like, the Iron Giant or anything. Okay. I can't. Okay. I can't many, control your inability to watch you know things what? when you were a child. Okay. Well, how many Rada Mitchell have you seen? Uh, I think it was seven. Okay. I've also seen seven Rada Mitchell. I've seen three. So, let's just do Keith David, right? Okay. So we're tied on Rada Mitchell, so we'll move to Keith David, and, and Kevin just gets away with it. <laughs> All right. Keith David, what's your number? No, you got to go first. You, uh, you, I'll go first. All right. Force me into this. I've seen 22 Keith David movies. I've seen 27. Oh, my no shit. God. Kevin's seen 27? <laughs> what the fuck, Kevin? Kevin I've seen what 25. Have you seen? I've um, seen Lewis. Jesus Christ. Uh, Coraline. Um, I saw that. Have you Princess seen and Frog? I saw that, too. Um, did you see where the heart is? I or have game? actually. You've probably seen Gamer, right? Yeah, I, Gamer. I I've never seen Gamer. I know uh, Jr. and I haven't seen Bird, right? And I've I've seen all the. Um... Oh, you have seen Bird, Jr. I thought you hadn't seen that. Why did I think you hadn't? I watched seen... that. Oh, you watched year, last year. That's why. Okay, never mind. Yeah, and I've seen. Uh... You guys haven't seen Always, the Spielberg movie? No, oh, fuck no. Oh. I haven't. Okay. And I've seen I've seen all of the uh, In Search of Darkness documentaries. Oh, and you watched the Spawn films. Yeah, and uh, and Jazz, the Ken Burns documentary. He narrates it. All right, so So you gotta love Kevin just sitting there silently letting us uh, choose Keith David. I bet none of you have seen The Last Outlaw from 1993. I don't think so. Suck on that. (laughs) <laughs> um all right uh well then jr you're you're getting punished this week right with you right yeah yeah but <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm used to it bud okay. i'm used to it <laughs> i'm i'm punished every week all right 
I can't remember the last time I didn't have to watch some horseshit movie. Hey, man, one of one of these punishments was a five star for you. Yeah, it's true. I did like that that the documentary. I feel like I've done mm. homework very recently, but have you? I'm also I'm I didn't have to do the Usman Sembene film, but I'm the only one who watched it for some reason. <laughs> All right, it's a good yeah. one. Okay, the, the number is um, 2425, and the movie is Mysterious Object at Noon, which is the 2000 film from Apichapong Weerasethkul. Yeah. I'm sorry, I cannot say this filmmaker's name properly, but uh, this will only be my second film that I've ever seen by this guy, so this is uh, actually sort of exciting for me. Because uh, I liked uh, Memoria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this would be great. Maybe it's a great cheering channel right now. Spur mm. me to watch more things. I know everybody loves Uncle Boon Me, right? I should watch that. Um, yeah, I mean, I like. I probably like this one less than several I've seen, but. Uh, but you want also, me to roll again? No, 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 no. I don't. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm not gonna. This movies are this movies are fucking weird. I'm I'm ready. Mm. All right, good. Um, all right, well, I will talk briefly about my homework, which was watching Samuel Fuller's 1980 World War II film, The Big Red One, which has been on my watch list since before I had a watch list, honestly. Um, I used to see the DVD of this and be very curious about it um, and want to watch it really badly. And uh, that was uh, an unfounded desire because this is not a good movie, in my opinion. I don't, I don't like it at all. And uh, I think it has some things that work and are going for it. But all in all, it's pretty standard late 70s, early 80s fare as far as this sort of, uh, you know, death gasp of Lee Marvin war films is going. And uh, I, I don't know. It's just, uh, the whole like romanticizing World War II and America's involvement in, in war. It's just like, it seems like a little bit, um, I don't know. What do you call it? Like, uh, like over patriotic and gross and mm. <laughs> like, I don't jingoistic. know. Like, yeah. Jingoistic. Good. I'm not, I'm not interested. <laughs> and, uh, I don't like to watch. I'm. I, I. I don't think. I don't. Uh, this is gonna be. This is gonna sound harsh. I don't think I'm a Lee Marvin fan. I just really don't know that I get it. Uh, he has like this sort of like. It seems like he's trying to get at this same macho swaggering energy as like a Mitchum, mm. but. Boy, boy, does he not have what Mitchum has. Because uh, <laughs> Mitchum <laughs> is just like, can stand there and I can watch him. Uh, and uh, Lee Marvin is doing a lot in this movie and, and emoting. And he's got all these scenes with children and shit. It's just really weird. And they try to make him like a father figure to this platoon. But I don't know. It's bizarre. Like, they don't, they're, they're so disconnected, these characters. Like, you never really see them interact very much. But, but the whole movie's being told through this. Uh, this one character's narration who is a writer and he's sort of filling in all of the gaps and it's nothing but gaps, you know, cause you don't know anything about these people and he's just telling you everything about everybody and you don't ever hear it from them or see it from them. And uh, Mark Hamill is in this and it's kind of weird cause it's just like, it's Mark Hamill mm. and he's not necessarily bad in it, but he's also not great 
and he does have to like there's this really goofy scene at the end. He's sort of the upum character of the movie where he's got a problem killing, but you know, he's in war and you gotta kill son, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so at the end of the movie, he finally kills a guy in cold blood the same way Upham does. And, uh, but it's just weird. Like he fires so many rounds into the guy over such a long period of time. And it just becomes awkward, like mm. genuinely awkward. Like it's a, like a three minute scene of him just shooting. And I don't, I'm not kidding. Three solid minutes. He shoots and he must shoot 17 rounds out of this M one grand, which is absurd. And then he finally, he runs out of bullets and then he changes the, the bandolier and continues firing into this body. And it's just like, I don't understand what we're, what are we getting at here? You know? <laughs> and he's also doing this in the middle of like a death camp oven. He found the guy hiding in an oven in a death camp. So wow. it's just like, you know, I don't know like what Fuller is thinking with, uh, the juxtaposition of these images and actions. It's not working for me. Uh, didn't like this very much. Did you, did you watch like the three hour version? No, I did not. I would okay. have to hang myself if I watched a three hour version well, of this. I watched a 113 minute version. Yeah, this is one of those movies where I think it was taken away from him. Oh, really? And cut down. And okay, that's fair. Like I'm looking you know, at the reviews not... of like uh, the people that I follow that have liked it, like they mentioned that they watched the longer version. Okay. And I know I have seen like that. This was like a thing available at the library, like the big red one, the uh, whatever oh, right. it was, the new it was, edition was. It was called something, right? It was yeah. like like the bigger red one or something like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I yeah, uh, I seem to recall that now, seeing that on DVD as well. Oh shit! That means I have to watch the that reconstruction. Now. Oh, the reconstruction. Yeah. So, you know, I. I have no opinion. It's been a, a long time since I've seen this. Um, and it seems like I, you know, liked it, didn't love it when I watched it. But, you know, the things that you were mentioning sound like things that would bother me. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm reading. I hear you, but I, I was just reading a, a goofy uh, rationalization of why he fires off 18 rounds. than one. <laughs> No, actually, the ninth sound you hear is him reloading. It's like, fuck off, dude. Okay, sure. Like, yeah, whatever, dude. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. This didn't work for me at all. Um, and uh, I want to like Fuller. I like the mythos around Fuller as a filmmaker. Uh, and to be fair, I've seen, you know, three of his movies now. But, and I, but I, you know, I've only really liked one. Which one did we do for? Uh... 40, 40 Guns. There we go. Mm. Which is good. I don't love forty guns, but it's good. Mm. And I and I I'd like to see more. You know, I mean, the, the, ch- chances are I'm wrong here, and these three films just aren't the ones for me. And that I'll see. You know, I'll watch a dozen of these, and then you know, ten of them will be great. So I don't think it's a th- it's a situation where like I've discovered what everyone else missed. Fuller fraud and he sucks. You know, <laughs> I don't think that's the case at all. Um, as with most great filmmakers, I always think it's me. But this is a later picture of his. You know, yeah, I mean, he, uh, maybe he's starting to lose it at this point. Um, it's not the end, but it's like it's close to the end. 
Yeah, I couldn't believe White yeah. Dog was. I thought White Dog was earlier, dude. I couldn't believe it was eighty two. I gotta, I gotta watch this thing. Yeah, I mean, and I again, like, I've only seen White Dog once, and I fucking hated it when I saw it. <laughs> and it's, I that's, it's, I need to watch it again, but I could not stand it. You gave it a two and a half, bud. Mm. Yeah, because I'm. That sounds like hate to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it, that was like. Kidding, man. Relax. No, but it's it, like I watched it because it was added to Criterion. Oh right. right. Like mm. when it was when I was in college, it got added to the Criterion Collection. Um, I believe I watched it on the auteurs, which would later become Mubi, and I, uh, you know, me, I was just like, this is on Criterion. They see value, so I must see value. Of course. Even though I hate this. <laughs> yeah, I had the same thing. Uh what film junk calls criterionitis. Mm. Yeah. I, I think I've gotten over most of that. I still like criterion movies make up a large portion of, uh, what I consider my favorite movies because that was like a formative thing for me. Just going to the library and writing so many criterion movies, but, um, I'm more comfortable saying that some criterion movies are absolute dog shit now than I used to be. Yeah, fair. I mean, well, I mean, the the further they go, the more shit they release, the more likelihood they're going to release some duds, you know? Mm. Look, I've watched all but one of the Godzilla movies in that Godzilla box. Oof. They're not good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you were you expecting them to be? Or No, I wasn't. Okay. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I must power through one more. Did, mm. you, did you watch one, the uh, new Godzilla minus one? No, I, uh, it's actually still in a theater here. It's re-releasing. It's re-releasing at the end of this week, uh, minus color. Oh yeah. Having not seen the movie, that sounds (laughs) unnecessary, but (laughs) sure. Well, I I want to see it. I will, I will watch it. I watched the whole fucking season of Monarch Legacy of Monsters. You are gross. (laughs) Need some Wyatt Russell. Hey, you must <laughs> Wyatt Russell. What a weird. He's, he's fine. I like him. Person to be a fan of. Um, did you watch uh, the the final episode of the Curse? Uh, no. So uh, Showtime Sorry. shut I down. They shut down Showtime anytime. Yeah. Uh, I think it was December like 14th or something. Uh, after the fifth episode. So I've only seen the first <gasps> five episodes. Oh no, dude. I have to see the second half of the season. Well, so I'm I, glad, yeah, I, probably I'm glad it. I didn't go into more detail about the final episode because it is a weird one. But uh, I look forward to your thoughts. I can't wait. I was, I mean, I was really liking it. Yeah. And we'll, I will finish it. I just haven't had the time or maybe I, I basically want to do a free week of Showtime uh, or Paramount Plus with Showtime. And, uh, totally. and do that. Yeah. I just, I just got to decide when that's going to be. You got to do that and watch Lawman Bass Reeves. I do not have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, all right. Let's get into our top tens then. Right. 2023. This is uh, what we consider the best films of last year. All right. Are so, we, you know, we didn't do any pre-production here. No. Are we are we each saying a list? Are we going ten 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 nine nine nine? Yeah, we should do ten 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 nine nine nine, right? All right, sure. 
Sweet. Who wants to start? <laughs> uh, I'll start because my Do number it. 10 is something that I watched uh, since last episode. Oh. Uh, I did a thing where I forced this onto my top 10 list. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, my number 10 movie was, was Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Oh, wow. And I was like, mm. you know, we, like it's so hear. fun, but it's like, it's not nearly like the best of these like later Mission Impossible movies. Sure. And this movie was so fucking funny that mm-hmm. it just, it had to be here. Uh, I watched Bottoms. Yes. I thought Bottoms was a goddamn riot. And uh, <laughs> I, w- I was so enjoying it. And so it's in the top 10. Let's get a, let's get a comedy in the top 10. Talk mm. about being in the pocket of someone. You and Ao Ada Berry or whatever. Oh <laughs> but it's not girl. even. It's not even her. No, I know. I'm kidding. It's it's the writing. It's Rachel Sennett is way funnier than she no, I, is. Uh, and this, that girl that played Hazel Ruby Cruz. Yeah, it's great. I think all the performances are wonderful. Even the the football Kaya, player guy. Yeah, Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, like Kaya Gerber. In I was like. Isn't she just like a famous Instagram person? Oh, she's pretty good at this. She's in, she's in Babylon. You goof. <laughs> was she in Babylon? Yeah, man. Who the fuck was she in Babylon? She was... Starlet. starlet. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Young Starlet. <laughs> Didn't get a name. I agree. Uh, Bottoms yeah. is great. It's an honorable mention for me. Uh, mm. Very surprised at how much I like this movie. Kevin, you want to go next? Sure. So my number 10 was the Burt Kreischer animal, the machine. Oh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm, I'm I'm reasonably sure that um, this would not have made it into the top 10 if I had been able to see the boy and the heron and or uh, poor things. But, you know, um, I'll just, you know. Re- redo it after the fact. <laughs> what yeah, is what's your star rating for the machine? I give it four. I mean, okay, cool. This is a movie you liked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I, it, yeah right. it was enjoyable. I mean, awesome. you know, yeah, nothing nothing about it is new or you know groundbreaking, but it was fun. You know, sorry, I only I did not see this movie. I don't really know this comedian, so I I only want was going to shit on it if it was like you gave this a two and a half. Oh, it ended up on your top ten, and that is not the case. You liked this movie, mm. so good. Yeah. All right. Uh, my number ten, uh, same thing, Jr. I had to force out um, Oppenheimer because the more I think about Oppenheimer, which yeah. was my top, which was my tenth film, the more I have issues with third act stuff and Robert Downey Jr.'s performance and things like this, and um, going with the flow. We can't. Come on, it's gonna win like well, every award, yeah, and that's fair everyone's too. gonna suck its dick. No, can't well, try to be in my top ten. I wanted to rewatch it's not. it. Honestly, if it was shorter, I would have tried to rewatch it. Um, and you know, then it would have been easy to say, well, it dropped a half star, so it's out. But I just, you know, moved it, switched it with uh, my next film, which I think I like more, anyways, which is Abel Ferreira's Padre Pio, the uh, the Shia LaBeouf vehicle. Um, just a wonderful performance from Shia. A bit of a comeback, although not, you know, not in the eyes of the public, but artistically, yeah. maybe. So I'm I'm looking forward to his performance in Megalopolis. I'm hoping he's in it more than he appears to be. So. <laughs> JR, number nine. Yeah. 
All right, my number nine is, uh, sorry, uh, Godland. Godland is uh, an Icelandic film about a, uh, a priest traveling through Iceland um, to set up a church. I believe I spoke about this movie when I watched it on uh, on the show, but it is uh, it is like gorgeous, and the first half is like perfect as he is like dealing with the elements. Uh, the second half, once he's like establishing the church, slightly less interesting, but, uh, but still, still great. And, uh, it's on the criterion channel and I don't think you guys have seen it. I need to watch it. I have mm. it, uh, on my Google drive. I need to check it out. Mm. Kev. Okay. So my number nine is Oppenheimer. Um, again, like, um, yeah, once I see, um, Heron and, uh, poor things, it will probably drop out. But like, I started to think, you know, like, okay, maybe because of the, you know, the physicality of the theater experience, I was being unfair. Cause like, you know, I, I keep thinking about the, you know, performances, like I like Downey Jr.'s performance, but I mean, you know, if I saw it again, I might have nitpicks, but you know, like just, you know, between, you know, the, the smaller, you know, ones that aren't talked about as nearly as much, you know, David Crummel's Benny Safdie, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, and, and love Benny Safdie in it. Oh, I, I, love, I love Crummel's. I yeah, like him yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Josh Hartnett's like, good in it. Absolutely. And, you know, like, um, the, the, like, just the, you know, allure of the Casey Affleck character, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, you know, so it's it ends up being so much more important than, to me, than, you know, most of what else is going on in the movie. Anyway, the most uh, yeah, hilarious so. reveal of a person's face mm. when you've already revealed his incredibly unique voice. Yeah. It's like, we know who it is. We know. <laughs> yeah. You can show us. Yeah. Um, Robert Downey Jr. Um, one of the weirder, just like, shoo-in, we've all accepted he's just winning every award, like acting performances in a while. It's like, how have did this we, become the one? Have we accepted one? that? He's winning everything. I thought it, we like, accepted Killian, but not not necessarily Robert. I almost, I mean, I almost feel like there's more competition for Killian from, uh, from Giamatti than than mm. Robert Downey Jr. has, Ooh. which I I think they will both end up winning. Uh, but it just feels like there's no one else like in this in this race with Robert Downey Jr. Who who else is in the race with Robert Downey Jr.? Who are the supporting actor people we should be looking at? Um, well, I thought it was going to oh, be uh, Ryan Gosling, Robert right? De Niro, and Ryan Gosling. <laughs> yeah, but Robert De Niro is in some of it, and you know we've got like Willem Dafoe and Mark Ruffalo in some of mm. it, and um, what about Glenn uh, Howard? Sterling K. Brown in American Fiction is oh, part right. of this. Who, who did you just say? I'm sorry. Glenn Howerton from Blackberry. Mm. Unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, That's, no. That is a shame. He should be. He should be. He should be. He's way more than Robert Downey Jr. I mean, yeah. Is, is this an interesting 
you know, it's like a interesting uh, performance and casting and everything. So mm. I it's, I think Robert Downey Jr. is good. I just I think he's playing. I think he's playing the character that like represents the worst part of that movie. And so I'm just like biased against it. And that's I know that's unfair. That's annoying. It's biased, as they say. Mm. All right. Um, my number nine film is uh, the documentary Close to Vermeer from Suzanne Reyes about the Vermeer ex- uh, exhibition that they're trying to put on in Amsterdam. And uh just really loved it. Great doc. The best doc I saw all year. Mm. I only have I... like four docs on this list, but this is the best one. I have so few documentaries. I think that is my highest documentary as well at the moment. Mm-hmm. GAR. Right. <laughs> um, here begins an annoying trend in my, in my top 10 list Uh-oh. of, uh, <laughs> of just very established directors, you know, just in some ways, my list is just chalky chalk, chalky chalk, chalk. Um, my number eight is Killers of the Flower Moon. Lame. Which, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's by Oppenheimer. It's, uh, a movie that I thought was very powerful and, uh, difficult and fascinating. And it was too long, but I was never bored. And, uh, it's the kind of movie where I just know when I watch it again, it's going to go up. Um, but right now, it it has to sit at eight. Mm. All right. Okay. It's also an honorable mention for me. Um, mm. My number twelve film of the year, Kevin. Uh, so my number eight is The Iron Claw. Oh, nice. Yeah, because uh, you know, yeah. Even though I have nitpicks with it, and I will tell anyone with a set of working years that the guy who played Rick Flair sucks, I really enjoyed this movie. A great turn from Zach Efron. I Indeed. Hope to, I hope to see more, um, you know, powerful performances from that guy in the future. Mm. I hope to see this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hope you can handle the last five minutes, bud. I don't know. It's it's <laughs> emotional. Anyway. Um, if it's too loud, I might have to ask my father to take me out of it. That's true. <laughs> Great callback. All right. Um, My number eight film is Sanctuary, directed by Zachary Wygon. Wygon. I don't know how you say his name. Um, Which is, uh, you know, one of two movies in my top ten that have Margaret Qualley and Christopher Abbott in them. Um, Weirdly enough. But uh, they are the stars of this movie, not bit players. And uh, I thought their performances were wonderful. I'm huge. I'm a huge fan of Chris Rabbit. I like this guy a lot. I've liked him for a while since I saw him in Girls ten years ago, and uh, <laughs> I just think he's good, and he makes uh, good choices uh, project wise. And uh, Margaret Qualley is just delightful. You can't. You cannot dislike Margaret Qualley. I don't think. Do you guys dislike Margaret Qualley? I like her a great deal. Okay, <laughs> Kevin. I have less firm of an opinion, but I 
like hey. what you did in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So fair enough, fair enough. That's yeah. all I need. Okay. I mean, just like <laughs> imagine that energy, but like better in most yeah. of the things that <laughs> she does. Well, she's in she's in things more than she's in that. She's barely in that movie, right? She's in like yeah, one, yeah, two scenes. Yeah. But um, yeah, I liked Sanctuary a lot. I thought that it was the um, no, normally a movie that like this like, like Sanctuary where it's a a two person in a room thing, you know, like tape, uh, the Linklater film tape back in the day, which is a three person thing. But, um, usually a thing like this, which seems like it's being, you know, adapted from a play or something. It, I don't normally get into things like this, uh, as much, but like, I don't know, this one really works. I, I like the sort of twists and turns. I didn't think they were like goofy. I thought they were pretty naturally revealed. And, uh, again, the performances at the center are just wonderful. So, yeah, you're just you're always in danger of it either being too much like a play or it's like too film schooly. Like you're yes, exactly. Trying to do too much or like you've you've decided that the dialogue is way more interesting and important than it is. Exactly. Uh, no, well said. Well said. I, I don't like sanctuary as much as you do, but I do think it is effective, and I do think it is very uh, smart. Nice. Um. Okay, so my uh my number seven is uh. It's the thing. It's the Margaret Qualley and uh, and Christopher huh. Abbott show. Poor things. Uh, how <laughs> dare you call Christopher Abbott's part a bit part? He's not. He's not. She is, though, for sure. She's a candidate. She is. <laughs> she is. Her part is so fascinating in how small it is. It is like, how did they, how, how and right. why did they get her here? Yeah. It just felt um, like it's such an easy, but it's like, the actors, actors like her or from her generation who are serious about acting are probably so interested to work with a director like Lanthimos that they'll literally do anything. Oh yeah. Mm. And like it was, it was such a small part that she probably filmed it very quickly. Like this sure. was probably very little work anyway. Uh, poor things is, uh, it is, is just a joy. It is, uh, strange and dark and in like should be upsetting, but instead it's just like fun and joyful. <laughs> it's, it's such a strange phenomenon of a, of a, of a film and um, it's, it's not perfect, but uh, you know, I, we went over it last time. It's, it made me feel a lot of things. It made me think of other filmmakers I love. And it's, uh, it's great. It might be coming up on my list, Kevin. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so uh, my number, um, my number seven is Blackberry. Nice. I really, really enjoyed it, and yeah, like I would look, I would look forward to watching this again. You know, I mean, for for everything that's going on, but I mean, Michael Ironsides alone is worth the price of admission. So, yeah. <laughs> Once you recognize it's him, it's. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, my number, we're on seven, right? My number seven is uh, showing up Kelly Reichert's latest film. Kelly Reichert is one of our great filmmakers, and she doesn't miss. She fucking rocks. And this is uh, no no different than any of other other films, except maybe that it's, you know, a half star less than uh, the last one, but they're still great. <laughs> they're all great. I love her films i love how quiet they are and contemplative but also funny and uh the characters are endearing without being annoying although one of the characters this is 
very annoying, but she's supposed mm. to be. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, she doesn't, you know what it is? It's like, she does, like, you've seen a movie like this, like a, a sort of like a, a movie about art school intellectuals who make art and, uh, live their lives. But, uh, in the hands of a lesser filmmaker, it just becomes like a, a bad pastiche of like stereotypes and mm. lame sort of drama, uh, interpersonal dramas maybe. And, uh, Kelly Eckert never sinks to that level. She transcends and makes it, uh, about something so much more real showing up rocks. I got to rewatch it. Mm. Jer. Yeah. Um, I feel like my my movie is kind of similar to that. It's a uh, it's Ferrari. You know, when <laughs> I think of showing up, I think of Fer- I think of Ferrari. Hey, you know, <laughs> uh, no, I think of a director like firing on most of the cylinders, right? <laughs> is, uh, yes, sir. Car we, joke. <laughs> is this uh, number six, right? Number six. Yeah, we're clear. Mm. You're starting number six. Go ahead. I'm yeah. I'm mm-hmm. first. Uh, first among equals. Um, sorry. Uh, Ferrari is like, I, I know that part of this is just like, I'm so glad that Michael Mann's back, but like, this just like got my, my blood like going, uh, Michael Mann and Adam driver, like together, like with his delivery of this dialogue, I was just, I was so into it. Um, <laughs> and like, this isn't a, like it's got like the cool races, but like, this is a movie where usually when people are talking in rooms, like it still feels like it's rocking um, and it's exciting. And one of the, one of my favorite movie theater experiences in the past year, for sure. Nice. Nice. Kevin. My number six is Barbie. Okay. Yeah. Good, solid oh, yeah. movie. And you know, very enjoyable. Nice. Hell yeah. Got the Barbenheimer in the list. That's right. <laughs> um, my number six is Ferrari. You got <laughs> to, bud. Michael Mann is back in a big way. And, uh, you know, this is a movie. I remember hearing that Michael Mann was coming back with this and being, like, disappointed. Because I was like, what? How, what is a movie about this fucking guy who makes race cars? Like, I don't want to see this shit. Do a crime film. Who cares about cars? Exactly. Exactly. I was just like, you know, do something more dramatic, but boy, he couldn't have picked a more dramatic subject. And, uh, the, the, I love this. I sure I said this before, but just this, the way of making like a, a biopic by slicing out a very specific conflict in the main character's life, you know, and saying, okay, this is a time when he's struggling through all these different personal and professional dramas. And, uh, having to deal with them one at a time, just a great, great way to do it. And it form, form, it forms so many amazing scenes, uh, both on and off the racetrack. Can we talk about how we live in a world that sucks? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, brother, <laughs> you know, totally. like, like Italy. Fine. You're mad that there aren't Italians in this movie. Got it. I get it. You can be mad, Italy. You're the only people. Uh, <laughs> but like, 
why are people not liking this movie? And like, I, I've read so many things. It's like, like why choose this one moment instead of telling a big story? Cause big biopic stories are stupid. Yeah. Dude, this like, is I don't want a whole more, life story of him. Right. It's dumb. What could be more interesting? This than is like focusing this. It's like, we, we are, we have put all this shit into one moment of his life and it's like reaching a boiling point and that's exciting. And he's right. experiencing success and also like all these fuck up, like everything's going wrong while everything is like these one certain things are going right. It's like, it's this awesome, uh, balancing this juggling act. It's great. And, um, the fact that people just don't seem to like this movie is uh, is driving me crazy. I don't get it. It's really, honestly, it's so like it's almost the um, the structure of the film is almost typical at this point, though. You know, it's like how often do you really even see a biopic that starts with the birth of the character anymore? Like, I, I don't even know if I call this a bio. I mean, how is it a biopic? Just because it's called Ferrari, you know what I mean? It's about this character. Yeah. This man who really existed, who had an issue in his life, and it's about, you know, a two-week period or a month period, whatever this is, you know, period in this man's life where he deals with these problems. And it's sort of like the social network in that way, right? You wouldn't call the social network a biopic about uh, Jesse Eisenberg's character, Mark Zuckerberg, right? No. It's, It's a story about the beginning of this social network and this entire, you know, this phenomenon, this zeitgeist moment in the culture and Ferrari's sort of the same way. And it's not as big of a story, but it's like, it's not the story of Ferrari inventing Ferrari, but it's like the story of him saving Ferrari from destruction, you know, saving the the company. And, uh, the idea that they have to, I mean, just the idea that they have to win the race in order to save the company. It's almost like a Disney movie idea, but it's just like, it's like, (laughs) <laughs> it, it makes it, it makes that so high stakes, you know, and that race so much more exciting just because you know that like everything's at stake, uh, depending on who wins. Yeah. What a great, what a great film. Well, it, it's, and it's, it, I, I'm realizing looking at my, my entire list for this year, like this is not like a guaranteed successful structure. Like technically this is like similar to what the movie Tetris does. Mm, um, and in like Tetris is much more trying to be about a, a game and a brand and like why that thing is cool than it is about one person. Um, but man, did that movie fucking suck? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, the this third worst movie of the year. I wouldn't say that for, I wouldn't put Ferrari in the mold of like brand biopic either, but I also no. wouldn't, I wouldn't say that about social network either. I wouldn't say social network. No, no, biopic, I, you know? social, I think the social network is responsible for yes. many of these sort of brand absolutely bio things, but I, I, I agree that it's different. And Ferrari is very much about this man and not his, his car company. And so like when you say what makes it a biopic, I'm, I'm thinking, he's a real person and it is like very much a story about him. Sure. Um, but I guess but, when you think but, of biopic, you do think of like, it's spanning yeah. a certain amount of time. Right. And yeah, it's like, you killed the wrong brother. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that time isn't, uh, that time isn't really spent in this movie, which I'm fine with. And, uh, I think that, uh, you know, I think a lot of it has to, a lot of the, the negativity also has to do with just the accents. I feel like people hate the Italian accents. I don't get why people are hung up on fucking accents. Like, who could give a shit? Unless he sounds you great. are in Italy. Right? <laughs> exactly. 
I think he sounds great with his the accent. Only people. I think he- he does. I thought he did a good accent in the the other the bad Ridley Scott movie that he was in, um, House of Gucci. It's it's sort of the same thing, but uh, you know the same accent. It is. I mean, it's it's kind of weird that he's like he's really just keeps going back. <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's like maybe maybe his next thing won't be that. Hey, it, his like, next, if, you if know what his next thing in is. Megalopolis. With, oh, right. with an Italian accent. I mean, <laughs> That'd be wild, dude. <laughs> you know, his next, uh, after Megalopolis, I guess, his, uh, he, he has uh, Heat 2 coming, you know? He's, mm. Is that they confirmed? Were, they said they were in, like, final discussions right. last week. Well, I, I hope that's true. And Michael Mann already has a start date to film it. Like, he's ready to film it. They were just, like, finalizing Adam Driver being right. the lead. We got to get this 80-year-old going. Uh, he doesn't... I know, right? Oh. He doesn't work at the same pace as, like... Martin Scorsese, who doesn't work quickly, or Ridley Scott, who does, but yeah. like this, like he, we gotta get this guy going. Isn't it insane how all of these filmmakers are pumping out like pretty solid shit into their eighties? Like mm. it is, it's like, like I would not have expected Michael Mann to return well this late and like think, pump like, out something great. You know, I I keep waiting for Quentin Tarantino to appear on a podcast. And be like, you know what? I've changed my mind. Uh, <laughs> like looking at shit from Martin Scorsese, right? And, yeah. uh, and and watching Ferrari and the Last Duel. Maybe I can do this when I'm. Maybe you can be cool later in life. Yeah, but he, 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 for all you know, he's going to give all those the nice try award. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't think they're any good. That's mm. you no. Know, I mean, that, totally. He's he's kind of weird with his taste for sure. Has um, he released a be- best of for? Uh, probably if he has, I, I wouldn't know. He he just. I feel like every couple years he appears on uh, one of the Ringer podcasts. Like he'll do our rewatchables or he'll do the big picture, and yeah. uh, I'm hoping he'll do that soon. Well, he's got his own <coughs> podcast now, right? So yeah, it's with like, uh, Roger hmm. Avery. Uh, yeah, right. I guess I I could listen to that in here, but I, I never have. He's probably talked about. I would imagine they talk about modern stuff on there sometimes. I know they yeah, talk I mean, about a lot of like, a sort of obscure eighties shit, but and like vehicular homicide, probably. But yeah, mm. yeah, maybe. I hey, don't don't diss Roger Avery. The guy rocks. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> such, I know. A, such a shame. Anyway, um, I'm not seeing a, a specifically 2023 list here. He released they released a list on IndieWire in December. Of his favorite sixty films that he wants you to see, mm. but they're not from last year. Uh, anyway. yeah. All right, uh, number five, Jr. Uh, number five, continuing with my uh, really old directors, is the uh, Boy and the Heron. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, talked about this a lot last time, and uh, you know, I think if you have not seen. Miyazaki's previous movies, this might not be as impactful because there's a lot of direct callbacks and references. And, um, but I think this is a pretty unique film in his filmography, even with, with all those references. And, uh, you know, I'm in the bag. You, you know, it. it's okay. <laughs> you and Kevin both. Yeah. Right. Kevin, you're in the bag, right? To a certain extent. More in, I'm more in uh, Joe Hisaishi's bag, the composer. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, Kevin? Okay. 
<laughs> anyway, so my my number five is showing up, and you know, like John John's already you know said like as much as I could say. I mean, it's just a delight. It's wonderful. Watch it if you haven't seen it. Love it. Um, my number five not going to be a popular choice with the film nerds out there, but I loved Maestro. Um, directed by Bradley Cooper. I you know. I, Okay, I was watching this movie. Even while I was watching it, I was like, I can tell what what the problems people are going to have with this is, and it's similar to me with Ferrari. It's like I just see a movie and I like I like the way it's directed. I like the way that it's acted. I like the dialogue. You know, I I like the positioning of the camera. You know, I like the way the music flows in a scene you know and it's a lot of simple guy with simple pleasures it's not that it's just that it's just a lot of that stuff is innate and and i'm not i don't think analytically about a movie necessarily while i'm watching it that sort of comes afterwards and while i was watching this i was just like really captivated by it and enjoying all of it and i thought that like for me bradley cooper is probably the best lead performance of the year in my book. Like, I don't know why people are shitting on him outside of the fact that he's wearing old man makeup, but it's amazing old man makeup. Uh, and are people shitting on him? I, uh, I mean, okay. I, I, I got the impression <laughs> well, people were shitting not. more on his uh, creative decisions with the way the story is structured. Not the well, performance itself, I don't, but that I could just be I my bias. I liked as, him a lot. Yeah, I haven't heard as much about that. I've like for me, that's the most interesting thing about the film is the the fact that it's not about his career; it's about his relationship with this with this woman, and it's essentially her story. And I think that's a really smart way to do it, especially if you're writing and directing the film as well. You know, well, take yourself out of the. John, it's another. It's another thing where we're like, why? Why isn't this a normal biopic? <laughs> right. Yeah. God damn it. Like, I don't need to see uh, his love for music forming early in his life and, you know, him, you know, conducting his action figures when he's a child or something. You know, it's like that kind of thing works for uh, private parts, you know, for the Howard Stern biopic. But it doesn't work here. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm, okay. I, I just what? really, yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I love both films. I gave them both a four and a half. Um, yeah, this is a wonderful. Actually, speak. I've been meaning to mention this on the podcast. Uh, speaking of Stern and Bradley, and Bradley Cooper, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Bradley Cooper was doing an interview for like he was on there because of Maestro doing an interview with Stern because he he goes way back with Stern. They're like buddies, and um, <laughs> he says he reveals that he 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 had meetings with Howard Stern and offered him. Uh, Fuck, what's the fucker's name? Uh, the old man in uh, Star is Born. Uh, Sam Elliott. He offered him oh, Sam Elliott's okay. role in a oh, Star wow. Are you and, kidding? And he says they were actually like having serious discussions about it. And he was, he, and uh, St- Howard was saying that he's like, he's like, I remember talking to you about it. I remember getting really excited about the idea. And I was going to shave my head and I was going to look totally different and all this stuff. And it's just like, I was like, what a wild idea that is, dude. Not that I think, you know, I think I, I talked about it on the show when we reviewed Private Parts. I think Howard Stern is a, at least playing himself, I thought he was very natural, very good actor, you know. But, and I mean, he's delivering lines. Like, he's, you know, he's doing fine. But I don't know how he would have done with the emotional shit that uh, Sam Elliott had to do. Uh, in yeah, I, I don't even, 
I, I like Sam Elliott, and I don't like. I didn't think Sam Elliott was awesome in A Star Is Born, um, he, and he was almost like too obvious a choice mm. for who that character was to yeah. me. But um, I cannot imagine how certain that will. <laughs> it would just be such a wild move, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, especially since. Yeah. He's supposed to be his brother, and I'm just like, how is mm. Stern is Bradley Cooper's brother? I don't know if I see that at all, but what, you know, I mean, like, what do you think? I mean, shit, like Sam Elliott's probably sixty, Bradley Cooper's forty. It's probably a twenty year age difference. I mean, what's how old was Howard Stern? Howard Stern was born in fifty four, and Bradley Cooper was born in seventy five. Oh so twenty one years. It's 20, yeah, it's only twenty years. Uh, Bradley Cooper's a little bit older than I thought, and uh, mm. Howard Stern's uh, fucking ancient, yeah. Yeah, at least he's my dad's age. That's the only reason I know he's born. Two years, two years older than my parents. Oh, yikes. Oh. I mean, he's, he's going to be 70 this year as well. Okay. Yeah, my dad's old. Mm. I was talking about Howard, but yeah. Okay. Well, well I'm talking about my dad, bud. How mm. dare you? <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyways, yeah, so I like Maestro a lot. You know, fucking you know, shoot me, okay? Uh, <laughs> it's my number five movie of 2023. Yeah. JR, number four. Uh, please once again join me in the bag. Um, I watched Fallen Leaves last night. Fallen Leaves is the new film from Aki uh, Korosmaki, Finnish director who has been making the uh, same movie over and over again <laughs> since the mid 80s. And uh, they keep getting better. Just fucking better. <laughs> better he's just refining this, this craft i guess huh yeah mm. like this was like funnier than he's been in a while uh, so I, I was actually like looking i like i've got like an aki kurosaki list i've seen like 13 of his movies or whatever and uh like my favorite one is one that he did make in the mid 80s shadows in paradise which is uh truly just wonderful movie uh but like the next two are his latest two movies, the one he made in 2017 and fallen leaves. And, uh, this just has like two fuck up characters who can't get it together. And, uh, I was really fascinated by the way they move throughout the world. And, uh, I was also fascinated by apparently how hard it is to get a, a just a low level job in Finland. And, I just really like the way that uh, Kurzweil frames people and uh, and deals with anything, whether that's action or dialogue. It's just a, a, a unique style, and I just I keep loving it. Can I ask a question about this movie? Because no. this, this is my okay, this is my first uh, Kurzweil film, and I do remember uh, Jordan early in the pot early in the years of the podcast. Uh, Jordan uh, raving about. Uh, one of his movies. Uh, Is it The Other Side of Hope? No. Leningrad Cowboys Go America, right? Is that what it's called? <laughs> mm. It's one of them, yeah. Jordan, I mean, uh, Kevin, you remember this, right? Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, I, you guys I remember guys, raving about it. You were probably both raving about it. Well, actually, mm. he only gave it a three and a half. But I, I would have raved about it. I seem to remember him liking it a lot. But anyways... Um, yeah, and and you guys or him, maybe both of you saying, uh, you know, comparing it to Jarmusch, and uh, 
me that was a turnoff for me, just like the idea that it was like a Jarmish thing, and I was like, oh, that's gross. Like I'll just watch a Jarmish film. But actually, uh, you know, in watching Fallen Leaves, you definitely see the. Um, I don't know if it's an influence of Jarmish, but it's like a they have a similar aesthetic, and uh, the way they frame things and the way they stage actions and things like this. Um, mm. And uh, I appreciate it, and I liked it. And I did like the characters a lot, and I loved the actors playing the characters. Uh, but the thing that I am confused by, and maybe like turned off a little by, is the ongoing radio stuff with the news of the Ukraine war. Like, why? You know, like, I don't know what it has to do with anything or like how it relates thematically. And maybe I'm just like stupid and missing it. But uh, I don't think you're stupid. I, I was thinking about that last night when watching it, mm-hmm. um, whether this is like. It's like she can't re- escape her reality. That isn't great. And not only that, she like can't escape sort of this world reality. Um of horrific violence happening, okay. uh, you know, close by. I, and I don't know the th- I, w- I was thinking like that. That's not like a super like awesome thematic idea. Uh, I was trying to make sense of it and I, I haven't quite done it yet. Yeah. It reminded me of like, and this is going to sound stupid because I really love this movie, but it reminded me of the killing them softly thing where they have the mm. election shit going on in the background of every scene um, between McCain and Obama and it's like you know pretty on the nose and like just in your face and like there's you could have done yeah. without it and there's there's a maybe like a vague thematic connection but it's not really there it's not very obvious and I don't know but I that's that's, that's not a it's, I, I think that's bigger than a nitpick but it's not that big of a deal and uh, I, I did really enjoy the film a lot and uh, it may I mean it's in my top 20 I, I liked it quite a bit I just was taken aback by that yeah i love the length i'll tell you that much <laughs> set like you know like 76 minutes plus uh credits basically yeah, right? dude, mm. the, that is fucking killer <laughs> yeah pretty much all of his movies are short and again the uh the other side of hope which came out in 2017 oh that is 101 minutes Ooh. yikes whoa that's yikes. long that actually like is long for this director, but uh, right. yeah, that so was also one, I thought really good. The other one you mentioned, Shadows of Paradise, is only seventy four minutes, so yeah, Even and better. that one's uh, the best one. So right, maybe uh, we have a that. relation here. Actually, we, we don't because again, most of his movies are really short. Mm. Uh, anyway. All right, Kevin, your number five, four, five, four. Sorry. <laughs> so my number four is I forget who started okay go ahead yeah <laughs> my number four is teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem i love this i loved seeing this movie in the theater i was so much fun and like you know ha- you know having having fun with your kids with something that you know you grew up on is does wonders nice yeah my number four is a movie that features a song from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 2, Secret of the Ooze, a movie <laughs> called Blackberry, um, mm. which is, uh, you know, just another home run from Matt Johnson. For me, I love Matt Johnson. I don't think he's made a bad film yet. Um, 
And uh, I like his show also, Nirvana, the band, the show. Mm. And I'm interested. And I was worried when uh, when this was going to be his next project because it felt like him sort of like this is going to be his step into big budget Hollywood. He's going to be making a Marvel film next year or something like that, you know. But <laughs> but uh, this retains his aesthetic wonderfully and. His sense of humor is all over this, and uh, I think Jay Baruchel and Glenn Howerton are terrific. And yes, Michael Ironside is good, and I like uh, I like Matt Johnson's performance as always. And it's uh, just a funny, but also like heartfelt and serious, great film. And I fucking I just love that scene when Glenn Howerton says, "I'm from Waterloo." where the vampires hang out or something like that at the end, where he's screaming <laughs> yeah. at the NHL people. That shit's so good. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it means. It's mm-hmm. so good though. I mean, I know what he, he's from Waterloo, but like, I don't understand the, the vampires line, but it's so, it just mm-hmm. sounds amazing coming out of his mouth. So yeah, Blackberry, <laughs> my number four movie of the year. Mm-hmm. I look forward to seeing the extended AMC miniseries cut. Yeah. And, uh, he said he's what? working. This is real. Like he's, yeah, it's real. Yeah. Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's currently working on Nirvana the band the movie, so Yes, yes. Yeah. And I will watch that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um my number three is showing up. Nice. And nice. um yeah. you know, you guys had this too low, obviously. Yeah, it got progressively higher. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kelly Reichardt is great. And, um, you know, you, John, you had mentioned that, like, that the characters weren't annoying. Uh, I, one of my favorite things about this movie is like, every character has something kind of abrasive about them in this Mm. movie. Mm. And I, and they have that abrasive nature while still being, um, I just lost words. I lost all my words just now. Sorry. Likeable? Yes. Uh, I was empathetic is the word I wanted. That's good. Uh, Although and, you think, do you find Hong Chow's character empathetic? No, no, no. She's, okay. she's an exception for sure. <laughs> right. yeah. but I was thinking like, like Magaro's character. Sure. John Magaro's yeah, yeah. character is like, like he is annoying. Oh, wait, and yeah. awful. Like, uh, sure. And like, in that, probably not his fault. Like he's going, mm. no, but you're right. Serious, like a, mental stuff happening, Sure, but he's empathetic. And like, and Michelle Williams, you know, you just like, you want her to stand up for herself. And it's like, I find this, like, it's almost abrasive to me that she's just like, yeah, she comes off as like so meek and just go along. And, and like, that's a very real characteristic. It doesn't feel like fake movie bullshit. Um, I don't know. And, and this uh, that's, is, that's good. That's a good point. Actually. Like the idea that they're, they all have abrasive qualities or annoying mm. qualities in that they're, but you still, you still like them except Hong Chow, yeah. which is just a total cunt. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she's great. Uh, yeah. She's wonderful in the yeah. role. Mm. She's, she's awesome. It, 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 she's almost like a cartoon amongst these other like mm. real people, but she's also, she's like annoying in ways that I think many of us would find relatable. I guess, I, as well. I guess what I was really trying to say was like, not the backtrack. I mean, I, I, I stand by what I said, but I, what I really want to say was like, uh, that, you know, in a, in a different film, you would be making fun of these characters for 
being the way they are for, for mm-hmm. attending, attending art school and like this goofy sort of commune art school that they go to. But it's not portrayed as goofy by like Reichardt seems to like like she that's the world she comes from. So she's, you know, like she understands working in an artistic um, collective almost like going to school mm. for that. So I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was just very well. Well, I like all I mean, it's just, you know, any I, I can't imagine Kelly Reichardt comes out with a movie. And it's not going to be in my top 10. The year comes out. Mm. She's fucking great. She's reliable. as fuck. I don't think so, but maybe no. It has. It has. River of Grass. I mean, I I don't know. Well, night Night Moves was not in my top. 10. I loved Night Moves. And Nether was Old Joy, but that was. Oh, you're fucked. You are. <laughs> I mean, old I haven't seen Old Joy. Talk about I, a, I believe you. For his Maki length film, that's like a seventy minute movie. I, mm. I liked Old Joy a lot. Uh, I'm sure I'd like it more now. But yeah, I mean, Meeks cut off Wendy and Lucy. Oh, pretty sure Simon was. First Cal showing First up. First Cal's all, a five. <laughs> I mean, you all got, in my top ten. I think uh, certain women and rivers, River mm. of Grass are my are my least favorite, but I still like them both. Mm. But anyways, not to get off on a Reichardt tangent. Golly, save it for the Reichardt premium. Am I right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Jr. I mean, catch Kevin. It's Kevin's <laughs> turn. Number three, Kevin. <laughs> so, my number three. Not popular with my co-hosts. <laughs> I love the what Mario Brothers movie, man. Oh, like yikes. I had so much. I had. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, yeah, I'll, I'll check back in in a few minutes. <laughs> Blow it out your ass. <laughs> uh, he's not taking any shit tonight. No, I mean, no. Like, look, look. Okay, Ob- obviously, you guys don't have the connection to Mario that I have. Like, I've been playing Mario since I was a kid. I've been, you know, like, I've had, a, you know, like, not just, and not just the games themselves, I've had, you know, a connection with the the music that's in most of the Mario games. And, you know, like, like even, like, before I knew this was going to be a thing, like, Mario was, you know, Mario was one of the things that really, like, cemented my relationship with my kids. Like, that was something that we all three of us really enjoyed. We could all do it together. And, you know, it was a real bonding experience for us. So, yeah. And, and yeah, and seeing, seeing this movie really reflecting all of that history and, you know, people, yeah, people can, you know, say what they want, you know, it's uh, throwing too much in there or whatever, but like, and, you know, yeah, I am I I am by no means a Chris Pratt fan, but you know, even when he is not offensive in something, then you know, I gotta give the movie props for that. Mm-hmm. So, I, I will I will tell you one hundred percent like I don't really like watching that movie, I did not really notice that it's Chris Pratt. Mm. Like like I I knew it and I knew it was controversial that he was cast and stuff like that. But like, you know, I, I found it very easy to get over him not having like the traditional Mario voice that didn't bother me. Uh, mm. And uh, this is not a debate. This is a top 10 where you're talking about things you love. I'm not going to shit on this movie. I didn't like it, but that's okay. Whatever. That's fair. Good. That's fair. Mm. Um, my number three is uh, the holdovers. Another comeback. 
Alexander Payne back with a vengeance, <laughs> uh, making his uh, honestly maybe his best film in his filmography, in my opinion. Um, I, I need to maybe rewatch. I haven't seen Sideways in so long. I remember loving Sideways, but I know that's it's, not, a, it's election. It's a, no, see, I don't. Election is not his best, or even close to his best for me. But I remember really liking Nebraska, for instance. But I don't know how well that would hold up now. Um, but the holdovers does hold up and over, and uh, it's just a wonderful film with amazing performances. And uh, this new guy, Dominic Sessa, this guy's wonderful, dude. He is so good, and I love the just all the comedic beats really work for me i like the look of the film i'm not crazy about the idea of the whole you know cigarette burns and pictures and the 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 rated r card coming up like it's a movie from 1971 but i feel like those are small touches and it does help (laughs) somewhat to achieve a certain atmosphere that this movie captures and i will say this is in my opinion as one who does not like Christmas films, this is maybe the only Christmas film I've ever enjoyed as an adult. And it is my favorite Christmas film of all time. Done. You know, like you say things like that and I want to push back. Then I'm like, what's a good Christmas film? Exactly. They don't make good Christmas. What is a good Christmas film? They don't exist. Unless you're going to be one of these dickheads who says Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Uh, I'm not. (laughs) But it's just like, if you're really looking at actual Christmas films that are about like the, the joy of family and communion over good food and presents and shit, it's like they don't make good versions of that movie. This is a good version of that movie. Insanely. It's amazing. So. Okay. That's all I got. Oh, and also, I think, uh, is Divine Joy Randolph still in the yeah. number one spot for the... Uh, front, run, front runner, yes. For the Oscar? That's good. She deserves it. like her a lot. And I hope that... Uh, I honestly... I, 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 would, I would love for Paul Giamatti to pull an upset and defeat Killian Murphy because he told Howard Stern to his face that he would thank him in his acceptance speech. And that would be a huge. So that's why you want it. You just yes. want it. Yes. Apology, to thank Howard Stern. Yes. He actually did thank him in his. Or he didn't thank him in his speech at the Golden Globes, but backstage during the press conference, somebody asked him about Howard Stern, and I think they were thinking he was going to like badmouth him or something, or, or like not want to talk about him. But like, because this is like the whole like, you know, Howard's like persona non grata, not so much in the last. 10 or 12 years, but like, cause now he's like interviewing Hillary Clinton and shit, but you know, back in the day, like he was, you know, you don't Howard, nobody likes Howard Stern. Like he's a, he's a anathema to the, the mainstream media, even though he's, you know, on the biggest radio show in the world. But, uh, and he was talking to Paul about that and Paul, and he, and he made Paul Giamatti promise him that if he ever won an Oscar, he would, he would thank him <laughs> in his acceptance speech. And he <laughs> said, Paul- because he said he says that's that was my first uh, private parts was his breakout role, mm. right? Okay, has Paul Giamatti not won an Oscar? No, I don't believe so. That feels wrong. That feels weird. Not wrong. It feels weird. I mean, what would he have won an Oscar for? Was he nominated for Sideways? I don't know. Uh, no, I don't think he was. He was nominated for Cinderella Man like the next oh, okay. year. Mm. Not that he should have won. Nominated for Cinderella. That's it. Nominated for Cinderella Man. One nomination. That's- wins god damn that feels mm. strange i mean wow 
Okay. I, don't know, I, I didn't see Cinderella Man. I might have. Uh, he's good. He's he's a great actor. I like him. Um, I don't know what he would have been nominated for outside of that, though. No, sideways, yeah, sideways for sure. Sideways for sure, as in American Splendor, maybe that should have happened. American Splendor was probably too early, too small, right? But uh, yeah, man, it just feels like at some point this should have happened. It hasn't. That's okay. Yeah, he'll be fine. He's in uh, he's in eighty four episodes of Billions, which you can imagine he's pulling down at least six figures per episode. So. I'm sure he's doing fine. Uh, yeah, I would imagine so. Mm. All right. It's me. Yeah. Number two. Top two. Okay. Um, here's my final, you know, old established director. Uh, it's Asteroid City. Oh. Uh, a Wes Anderson movie that I thought has been just like so much better. And his recent output, uh, I thought this movie was complex and uh, and messy and wonderful and totally different from anything he's ever made. Even though people keep telling me it's the most Wes Anderson shit he's ever made, I'm like, he's never done anything like this. I don't know what the fuck you guys are saying. Those people, are wrong. I think they're saying that he's going further into his aesthetic than he's ever gone before, right? Like he's um more more even more stop motion and uh Good. more more asymmetric <laughs> or not asymmetrical uh, symmetrical, you know, um staging of things and even more robotic dialogue and robotic performances and not, you know, this uh alien emotion. I think that's the well anyways, that's what I would say. Mm. <laughs> this, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to to have a reaction when you said that. I did not. It's okay. That. I did not expect that at all. <laughs> yeah. Why would you? I don't. Uh, Wes Anderson's not a guy who shows up in uh, in JR top tens. Hey, this is a, <laughs> this is a weird one to show up in your top ten. But and maybe not. I mean, you know, this seems. Like, I could oh, see why you. I could see I you liking this. Yeah, I could see. I you loved there. it. What'd you give it? Four and a half. Yeah. You don't have a five star movie this year, do you? No. How could I? Dang. <laughs> so I actually, um, I was listening to, to the film spotting podcast and like they had one of their like callers, uh, call in and is like, like I had this one movie where I broke my rule, like where I don't give a five star movie, like, like a five star rating to a movie in the year of its release. Just like refuse to like, it has to be watched multiple times. And I was like, I really disagree with this guy's opinion. Yeah. But like mm. in function, I am basically the same. Like, so <laughs> and, no, and you gave Babylon that me out. stars. I did. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and I just like, I know when I watch my number one again, it's going to get five stars. I know it. Mm. I've already, I've already, just, I've pre-decided it. So it doesn't matter. Kevin, how many five stars? Uh, you, Mario was a five star, right? Yes. Yeah, so I have a total of three. Okay. So your number two film of the year? Well, to the shock and amazement of probably nobody, it's also Asteroid City. Oh, of course. Well, I was wondering if it would have it in the same in the same place. I I yeah, thought there was a, a, a shot it could be number one for you, but 
Yeah, but I cool. mean, you know, if it wasn't if it wasn't for the the number one, then yeah, it, it, I'm sure it would have been at the top. But uh, but yeah, Asteroid City rules, and people need to get their heads out of their asses and stop just <laughs> stop just looking at memes and shit on the internet and actually watch the movies. Maybe you know, and then they would have educated op- opinions instead of just. Bullshit hearsay that they, you know, echo into a chamber to hear themselves, you know, yeah, just to hear themselves squawk other people's opinions. I don't know why John doesn't seem to be taking this as personally as he should be, but no, 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 no. I don't, th- <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I was actually thinking that in my head. I was like, is Kevin talking about me? <laughs> like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I mean, I would say yes. It, like, this is definitely the reaction to this movie has just been so bizarre. Like, I think like mm. all around where it's like people are just like dismissing it as Wes Anderson nonsense. And I, I just think that's absurd. Yeah. And I, honestly, like, no, this is, this is not a stab at John at all. Like this is a stab at all those people who are, you know, getting on chat GPT and AIing. you know, like what would the shining look like in Wes Anderson's aesthetic? You know, mm-hmm. what would, that, uh, you know, ugh. fucking ugh. American gladiators look like star Wars. I've seen the star Wars one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, this, this is not clever. Um, right. Well, like, like, John and I were talking um, the other day. Like, there's there's the um, there's a Seinfeld episode where George is supposed to be bringing something to Jerry, and like he stops to play some froth frisbee golf in the park, and so like it's you know like so you you ask you ask anyone you know what you know what do you know about Jerry Seinfeld, and it'd be like what's the deal with blah blah blah. And, like, I don't think – I could be wrong, but I don't think Jerry ever actually says, what's the deal with blah, blah, blah. But in this episode, huh. in the thought bubble above George's head, he thinks about Jerry saying, what's the deal with airplane peanuts? <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. So it's like, like they, know, they know the joke, and they're acknowledging it. So, yeah, like, these, these people are, you know – yeah, like they're running with something that doesn't actually exist, but they don't know that because they haven't done the research. You know, they just want to, you know, echo other people's opinions on the internet. And some, and I guess they think they can stay relevant that way, even though we don't know who these people are. <laughs> so I do feel like he does, like he says, uh, Oh yeah, that's okay. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, that he does. There's that that when he hosts his Saturday Night Live, Jerry. He uh, they have like this, like the Jerry Seinfeld Jeopardy thing or whatever, and it's just like all mm. Jerry Seinfelds. And, like, <laughs> Jim, like Jimmy Fallon is one of them, and anyway, and then he's like, uh, and one of them says like, "What's the deal with grape nuts? No grapes, no nuts." <laughs> like, oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, um. <laughs> All right, my number two film of the year is Barbie, directed by Greta Gerwig. And, uh, you know, I just would be dishonest uh, if I put this anywhere except the number two spot. I loved 
watching this movie a lot. I found it to be very, very funny. And um, I think that all of its... I don't know what you'd call them. Uh, political themes, I guess. I don't know. Like the... Mm. the, 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 the um, feminist stuff that's uh, patriarchy, all this kinds of comments on these things. I think all of them are uh, pretty spot on and they work really well. And I love the, the jabs at, um, at the patriarchy, like in, in terms of like these sort of subtle jokes about <laughs> not subtle, but obscure jokes about like references to like male behavior and like how, you know, men are, yeah, yeah, the pavement joke, the Steve Malcolm's joke, the uh, the Godfather joke, all that stuff. Like, <laughs> I think all that works really well. I thought it was very, very funny, and just stuff that doesn't doesn't seem to like. I don't know why it's funny, but like that song that that they <laughs> that's on the radio when the Kins take over, mm. and it's like the same. It's like a Matchbox Twenty song or something. Yeah, it's like the same mm. song. Yeah, yeah, but it's just like why that song? I have no idea, but it's like it works so well to establish that the tone of these got these like meathead people taking over the society. <laughs> and, um, I think they spend just the right amount of time in the real world and they jump back into the Barbie world and it's an interesting dynamic shift. And, uh, I think, uh, Robbie is incredibly good in it, which is weird because she's playing Barbie. It's like a weird, you know, you would think it'd be like a, it could be a one note performance, but the script is so strong and her performance is so strong that it, it makes it more, and uh, obviously, you know, there's nothing more to say about Ryan Gosling in the movie. He's fantastic. He's funny, and he's charming and wonderful. So, yeah, I loved Barbie. JR? Okay, um, I'm done with all of my established old-person directors, um, and I'm going to go... Number one. That's Number cool. one is just like, <laughs> I, I told you guys, uh, if you know me, like there's, this is going to be like almost like a, a bit, a joke. It's, it's not, I don't feel that way, but, um, you know, it's like when you successfully evoke, uh, Wong Kar Wai and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and, uh, you know, the Richard Linklater romance movies, the, the before movies, uh, you have my attention. And uh, Celine Song's Past Lives does does that. And uh, I absolutely adored this movie and it made me cry. And it's like this movie about friendship and romance was just so. Hey, I'm back. What the fuck? Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Number one. Yeah. Two and a half hours. <laughs> sorry um it's like these three performers Greta Lee T.O.U. and and John Magaro are just uh are so powerful uh communicating just like very complicated emotions that you don't often see in uh in movies and it uh it profoundly affected me and so I'm telling you like I took a half star away from this movie because like it made a great reference to Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind, but then it named Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind, and I was mad at that. <laughs> and uh, that's a really dumb reason to be mad. It's uh, 
Otherwise, so that's a uh, heavy, wonderful movie. That's a heavy penalty for such a small. Mm. <laughs> it's like know. you're on the train to Montauk. When you're on the train to Montauk, you don't also have to name the movie Eternal Sunshine of Spouse Mind. We get it. The Eternal Heads get it. All right? I didn't get that, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Past lives, you know, just mm. right behind Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Not quite as good, but. But it is is good. that what you wanted me to do? Did you want me to correct <laughs> you for every movie you said uh, today? Did you want me to? to we're, talking about our, we're talking about our best list. Blackberry so. was actually no, you're wrong. It's actually number thirty-two. Thirty-two. Fuck <laughs> right in front of Anatomy of a Fall. Well, Fall on Leaves is number eighteen. It's not as good as Passages. Oh, that's right. I said it. And Passages is good. I liked it a lot. <laughs> oh, they're both great. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. They're both really good. <laughs> sorry, sorry. We all say things we wish we could take it back sometimes. Right. I'm, re- I'm really happy with my list. Okay. Uh, Kevin, your number one film of 2023. So my number one is The Venture Brothers. Radiant is the blood of the baboon heart. Well, okay, I did not see this coming. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I said it, you know, back in August when I watched it. It's great. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. You're but right. yeah, I mean, yeah, like the Venture Brothers is my favorite show of all time. And so, you know, getting, you know, it was disappointing that it was canceled. So getting this, you know, was obviously, you know, great. But then just seeing how, extra, you know, just fucking off the wall and crazy it is and you know um just everything that they have going on in it and the just absolute absurdity and the <laughs> just every everything about it you know like you know did either of you guys have a six out of five this year no oh well i've never i've never had such a thing Okay, well, yeah, JR is too cool for that. He's not, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not into it. Yeah. You have to do it on the first watch, and you won't give a five star to a first movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I, uh, my number one is the closest that came to that, I think, which is uh, Poor Things mm. by Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, which I forgot is, that you had not said this yet. Okay. Right. So, this is my um, number one film. And uh, only this and Barbie are five star movies for me this year. I, I actually rewatched the holdovers, thinking I could bump it up to five, but I just couldn't get it there. It just didn't work. I don't know. And too, uh, too sentimental. You know, may, maybe went back when I watched it a month, rewatched it a month ago, I could give you specifics of why it couldn't get that last half star, but okay. it just. Right now, I don't know. I just remember thinking, like, it's just isn't not pushing hard enough. But Poor Things certainly does. And um, there's a review from Synagogue on here um, on uh, Letterboxd, who I follow. And uh, it says elite on all levels. And that is how I feel about it. I don't know that I have even nitpicks about this movie. I love every second of it. I mean, even, like, the weird, like, you know, it seems like there's a pretty obvious like three act structure, and there's like a there's like a twenty minute section tacked onto the end, but it's fascinating and wonderful, 
and it's where you get the most out of Emma Stone's performance, I think, uh, emotionally. And, uh, and you, again, you get Christopher Abbott coming in late to the game, which is wonderful. And, um, it's just great. So I loved poor things. I love all of Yorgos Lanthimos's films. I was telling, talking to Jonathan about this one and he was like, I can't do it, dude. I hated the lobster so much. He hates the lobster. And I was like, I could see why, what issues Jonathan might have with the lobster former co-host of the show, Jonathan. Um, but I've reminded him that this guy directed dog tooth also. And he was like, Oh, see, I forgot that. I was like, and have you you seen killing of a sacred deer? And he's like, no. And I was like, okay, you should probably watch killing of a sacred fucking deer before you talk about how you can't watch poor things anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And the favorite was a six out of five. So favorite wonderful. Also, I mean, I just, I'm thinking I'm talking to Jonathan killing of sacred deer is going to be the one that, is going to sell him on Lanthimos the most. Yes. So, it's, so he doesn't like he doesn't know Barry yet, probably. Barry? Yeah. Oh, Keoghan? Oh, he yeah. saw Dunkirk. He's. Yeah, and he's, yeah, like, uh, do you know Barry until you see Killing a Sacred Deer? I don't know. And... Or, or Saltburn. No, that's fair. I think I saw Killing a Sacred Deer before I saw Dunkirk. Also, okay. Maybe I don't know though. Did I? I don't know. Didn't they come out in the same year? I believe so. Are they both 2017? Yeah, I saw Dunkirk in the theater, so I probably would have seen that first. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I, I agree. He's he's a bigger part of that, obviously. And yes. he makes a bigger impression. Um, yeah, I don't know. We talked about no, uh, we talked about Saltburn also um, mm. uh, at dinner at some point, And I was telling him to avoid it at all costs because, you know, as much as I dislike it, he really dislikes it. <laughs> you know. Well, um. You know, I wish Jonathan the best. I think he should probably watch more movies than he does. Yeah, of course. I think he just has uh, different interests and different things he wants to spend his time on. That is yeah, this I mean. does not make sense. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I also think he watches more movies than I realize because he doesn't log shit anymore. So, mm. Well, logs, I like, repeat, here, so. this does not make sense. Yeah, I agree. You know it's, what you do when you watch a movie? You log it. You log yeah. it. One thousand you You're preaching to the choir right now. Okay. Forgot to forgot to log Riddick. Are we doing honorable mentions? I would love to. Hey. Okay. Hey, you know what? Yeah. This episode isn't long enough. I would do honorable mentions. I would do bottom ten too. I, I would love to do bottom. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you my top 10? ten TV shows. So Ray, let's <laughs> no, 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 no. I can do everything right now. I do bottom and honorable mentions, and then we can call it. We'll All say right. we'll get Kevin's pick and we'll call it. Hmm. So uh, you want to go first? Honorable mentions? You talk. You talking to me? Yeah, man. You went okay. first with the other one. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'll just I'll do uh, just like a like a smattering, right? Okay. Like yeah. I, I mentioned, Mission Impossible. Um, I think my my first honorable mention should probably be RMN, which uh, is like just an objectively better movie than Bottoms. Um, my number 10, <laughs> but like bottom is just so enjoyable. Uh, this is like Christian Manju's, uh, a Romanian director's movie about, uh, xenophobia in a small town and like a, a border, uh, area in like Transylvania. And it was, uh, like a wry dark comedy, um, that has a lot of uh, just fucked up stuff going on, uh, that I 
uh, thought was really cool. I love fucked up stuff. Um, I had a uh, Barbie in my honorable mentions, the uh, fucked up horror movie, when evil lurks, how to blow up a pipeline. Um, Interesting. Which I don't, did you guys ever see that? I did. Mm-mm. Yeah. And, uh, and then the Chinese movie full river red. And then the, the last one I'll mention is uh, Spider-Man across the spider verse, which I watched this week. And uh, this was kind of my, like uh, my, I don't feel as strongly as like Kevin does about Mario, but I'm just like, I don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about. I thought this movie was a a blast. And I went in mad at it because (laughs) I didn't want to watch it. I didn't want to deal with the two and a half hours. I'm like, everyone's like, Oh, it's so visually cool. And I was just like, I started it and I'm like, whatever, probably going to end up just playing on my phone while this is on. And immediately, (laughs) I'm just like watching this like Spider Gwen intro, amazing, and it's reminding me of like Warren <laughs> Ellis's like Fell comic, oh and I'm like, God. okay, this actually is visually insane. Uh, I love it, and uh, it, it's got issues, and like it is, it's too long. I know, Kevin, Kevin, but it's. I thought guy, it was. This guy was so fell cool. for it. This <laughs> guy fell for it hard. <laughs> Holy uh, I did. I did. I did. I did. I'm not gonna deny it. I fell for it. Um, thought it looked so f- fucking cool. Was entertained. <laughs> not a phone in sight in my hand. Um, mm. All right. I am not ashamed to say I cannot say the same. <laughs> I, I know. And, and Kevin, you never you you walked out right. We, we had well, you had to yeah. I think um, Kevin, did you weren't you enjoying it though? Or not? For the, for the most part, there like the um. Well, now I think you know, Jr. This will be fresh in your memory. The scene where like um, Miles and his mom and Gwen are like standing uh, like underneath like a water tower or something. That scene goes on way too fucking long. It's, it's like thirty seconds. <laughs> it's like it's seconds. like eight minutes. I I would love to get an actual runtime on this scene, but I I, I have no yeah. idea. I, I know I know the scene you're talking about, um, mm. and it's it's right before she leaves to like go do her work, and that mm. kind of sets off all the the problems. But uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, look, I thought. The end of that movie, which is like, of course, this is a, a two-parter and it doesn't actually like end. Um, it's like a to be continued, mm. uh, which is annoying, but kind of par for the course with some of this bullshit right now. Um, but the it is doing a uh, an editing thing where people are in different places, but they are edited to feel like they are in the same place. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, both obvious and, uh, and effective. And I don't, I can't really reconcile that, but <laughs> like I, I knew exactly what was happening and it still worked. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, cliffhangers and your honorable mentions, did you hear the news about dead reckoning? That it's delayed. No, they officially dropped part one from the first movie's title. Oh mm. God! Okay, I so they're well, making first, a new a new subtitle for the new film. Hate when they do that. I knew they were making a new subtitle. Uh, I really hate 
when Tom Cruise decides that we have to like officially change a title though. I mean, what else are they going to do? Like nobody saw the the first one. They can't be like part two and like nobody saw the first one. Nobody gives a shit. Well, no, mm. I mean like I, I understand why they wanted to change the second one. I just think it's weird to go back and change the first one. Yeah. I like, wonder what it even means. Like, are they going to change it? Cause I mean, like they've released the movie on Blu-ray at this point. Like, are they going to, all the pressings now going to not have part one written on it. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> uh, look, I, whatever they, they didn't have to do this. No. If you had just left out like the submarine thing, it wouldn't have mattered, but uh, they decided to add the submarine thing last minute so that they'd have a connective tissue and uh, whatever. That movie's still really fun. All right. Uh, Kevin, honorable mentions, or yeah, you got enough to do that, right? I mean, um, I enjoyed the killer. Nice. Yeah. I did too. <laughs> I, I liked it. You know, Fincher never hurt nobody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we don't know that. I like uh, it's, a, it's a. Have you seen that shirt? Fincher never hurt nobody. It's a t-shirt. No. Brad Pitt wore it when he was doing Fight Club, but then it's like. This uh, this website, I, this Instagram account I follow, they made the shirt and they sell it. Mm. Finch, Finch never heard nobody. Anyway, uh, my honorable mentions again, like like Jr. A smattering, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, obviously, uh, uh, fucking Oppenheimer, Bottoms, but uh, also uh, Bo is Afraid. I think was good. Um. I know Kevin disagrees. Uh, <laughs> the Flash, the greatest superhero film of the last 20 years, maybe 25, maybe since Batman Returns. I don't know. It's quite good. Uh, I loved it. And uh, let's see, Dream Scenario, the Nicolas Cage uh, vehicle. Nice. Just like Christopher Borgley. Never never got to that. It's More good. It. Um, you know, it's not a masterpiece or anything, but it's good. Uh, Inside, I liked Inside a lot. For a long time, Inside was in my top three for a long time this year. Uh, mm. I liked Inside quite a bit. Uh, Passages, which I just recently watched, which is just a great relationship drama with great acting. Especially, I liked Ben Wishaw in this a lot, who I've never really liked, but he's quite good in this. He's like, and he's, Yeah. It's interesting. Like the other two are such like uh, like uh, firebrands. They're just mm. there's a lot of like energy and sexuality there. But uh, he's one awesome dude, and he's great. Rogowski here just playing like the most objectionable asshole of a character, and I I loved it. I loved watching it. I don't know, man. <laughs> he was such a dickhead, but I liked I liked it. I don't know. I liked Gowski's, watching. Gowski's good. He is good. He is good. This one this one sold me on him more than others. But uh Lucifer. Yeah, right. <laughs> I have to go back and watch uh <laughs> I really want to see what was what was he in? Uh the one where he's in prison. What's it called? Uh oh, I don't great, know. great Freedom. Yeah. Let's see that. That's on movie. It is, oh, yeah. What? It's movie, movie movie and also well anyway never mind anyways he's great um the movie's great uh also master gardener i think is really good and deserves to be mentioned and uh that's it those are my honorable mentions you guys want you want to do bottom five 
Well, JR, I mean. I mean, unless Kevin has a bottom five, maybe. Nah, not really. <laughs> yeah, I've got a... Uh, or bottom ten, whatever you want to do. I've got a bottom seven. The okay. movies that I gave one and a half star or less. Okay. And I finished them. Uh, and that starts with number 120. Super Mario Bros. And then 121. <laughs> Skipping ahead. Uh, Exorcist Believer. Absolute waste of time. Uh, Cocaine Bear. <laughs> what was the idea here? What was the idea <laughs> Uh Fool's Paradise, which is like a movie oh, that yeah. I think thought was like going to be like a being there type movie, but it's... Like it's uh, it's weird that uh, that both Charlie Day and Glenn Howerton like stepped out and tried to make cinema this year. Mm. And one of them succeeded so much, and one of them failed miserably. Yeah, <laughs> and it like it sucks that like Charlie like wrote and directed this. It, yeah. It's I thought I thought it was a real bummer. Um, and then Tetris, which again, just sort of like a corporate commercial disaster like I disaster hated it um my second worst movie of the year which I, I like i thought there was no way there could be anything worse than this was uh was fast x which is just like it, it betrayed me <laughs> how could you do this to me um but you know what it's not how you could do this to me. It's how could I do this to myself mm. uh, with my, my worst movie of the year, uh, Rebel Moon Part 1, Shout of Fire. I knew. I knew I should not approach. I knew I should stay away, and I did it anyway, and did it was you, worse than I could have imagined. You didn't watch that just because I watched it, though, right? Uh, no, I watched it because, well, I mean, I, I knew that you had an, a negative reaction, which I expected yeah. you to have. I expected myself to have it. Sure. But I was like... I think I even texted you guys about this. Like I had spent like hours reading that day. I was like, I'm trying to power through a book. Uh, successfully did so, and I was like, I just want to sit on it on my couch and just like not think. I don't want to put on something that I might like and then have to think about why I like it. Um, and I was, you know, like Rebel Moon was just there, and it was the worst mistake I've ever made. <laughs> Oh, I love that. The worst mistake you've ever made. Uh, I have, if I was going with your logic, the one and a half or lower, I'd have a top, I have a bottom sixteen. But, oh, Jesus um, Christ! Okay, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I watched, I'm sorry uh, for you. Hey, I watched 101 movies this year uh, from this last year, and um, I'm not going to go through all of those, obviously. Uh, but uh, some some highlights: Cocaine Bear, awful, uh, one star movie, actually, terrible movie. Um, Air, which I really thought was going to be the worst movie of the year. Um, atro- just atrocious. It's one, the, it's one of the grossest. Yeah, yeah, it's disgusting. Talk about that brand biopic, just like the worst way you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Anus. Um, I, I don't want to shit on, on Kevin. Super Mario Bros. is on here, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> 65. The Adam Driver movie uh, is absolutely atrocious. Yeah, reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John Wick Chapter 4, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. So long, so boring, so repetitive. Sorry, JR, you're wrong on this one, bud. Uh, You know, we're all wrong about things, yeah. 
hypnotic, the uh, Robert Rodriguez, uh, 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 you know, abortion. Uh, this is um, this. I thought this was going to be bottom of the list, but then I saw Rebel Moon Part One: Child of Fire, <laughs> which is a zero star movie and is completely irredeemable. Um, so yeah, that's my worst movie of the year. Of it's so bad that I will 100% watch the second one. <laughs> yeah, and I'm so mad about it. Don't <laughs> do it. When was so it coming bad. out? Is it coming out in March? Uh, it's the spring at March or April. Yeah, that's happening. I mean, I'll probably watch it too, it's, Kevin. It's, 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 it's so <laughs> gross that like Zack Snyder was immediately like. This is a director's cut that's like so different. Oh, oh. And I was like, be a man. <laughs> like, dude, you made a piece of shit. Just like own it. Like, come on. Be a man. <laughs> yes. yeah. Come on, Jean Pierre. Don't be a dick. Be a dude. Right. It's gross. Um, all right. Well, that's our year in review. Next episode is Kevin's pick. Kevin, what do you got for us, bud? So we are changing tack a bit. Okay. So so next episode we are going to watch Unforgivable Blackness, the rise and fall of Jack Johnson, directed by Ken Burns from 2004. Documentary. All right. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can visit our website at filmyakpodcast.com. Write to us at filmyakpodcast at gmail.com. And thanks so much for listening. Bye bye.